Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up this morning, we got a little something for you Ute fans, you Cougar fans, and you Jazz fans. Yes, the three most popular teams in the state, Utah football, BYU football, and the Utah Jazz. We got you all covered in this hour. We are going to start with the Utes and the linebacker coach, Colton Swan, a former Weaver State Wildcat. Now, on his, uh, what, his third year on the youth staff, here he is talking with the media. As camp continues and they count it down, three weeks from tonight, the youths will play their season opener. Here's Colton Swan with the media. He's trying to make this team great. He's trying to make the linebackers great. Uh, and so everything that he does, you know, he, he's grabbing guys and bringing them with him. I was kind of along, along those same lines. How valuable is it for you for, as a coach to have a guy like Devin Boyd in your room? And also, maybe what are some things that he does behind the scenes that we don't see that, that help you out? Right. Uh, I've heard a lot about his film watching. Yeah, valuable in the fact that you've got experienced eyes. Okay, you got uh, a guy that has coaching type of eyes. He can see things. He can help. Right. Um, and I'm a true believer in the best way of learning is actually teaching. You know, I come from an education background, and I know that's one of the main ways to retain information is to teach. And he's a great coach. He's a great teacher. So uh, that's what I loved about having that experience around. Uh, a couple of things that he does, I mean, he just he outworks everybody, okay? Uh, and not only does he outwork everybody, but he outworks himself, okay? He knows what his expectations are, and he succeeds those uh, every day. Talk about Nephi School's development and growth since he made the transition to linebacker and now entering year two as a starter. Yeah, he's, he's done a great job. He's really picked it up last year in our five games that we played. Uh, he, he did a great job of really taking a hold of it and understanding it and learning because it's, it's different. I mean, you're, you're, you can be a defensive tackle type that's going to be fitting A's and B gaps, if that makes sense, right? And then also you can be a DB type where you're drawing out and covered. So as a linebacker, we're hybrids. We have multiple things that we've got to do. And, uh, man, he filled that role immensely. He's extremely savvy. He's one of the most savviest players I've ever been around. Uh, he knows where the ball's going. He knows where to fit it. He knows the structure of the defense. Um, he's, he's maybe a little bit more quiet, as you guys know, but he's an extremely savvy player and a delight to coach. You brought in a lot of high school talent in your signing class, but you weren't done. You brought in another transfer, Josh Calvert, who is the older brother of Ethan Calvert. Kind of in a unique situation with him being still relatively young, but two years at college. What does he bring to the table? Uh, it's funny, yeah, I, you know, you ask that question because I've thought about that a lot. Um, in bringing a transfer in that comes, in my opinion, from a good program, okay, is really nice. It's nice to have uh, a guy like that that not necessarily we run the same defenses, but can pick up on things. His terminology, he just tweaks it a little bit and, and applies it to things that he's done. Uh, he's a very physical, Josh, very physical kid. I uh, love the way he's progressing in these uh, seven practices and uh, excited. How, how deep are you at the linebacker position right now? Like, how many guys, I, I know you're in the middle of camp, but how many guys do you, do you think could be game ready by the time 
uh, you guys go around to the opener? Well, I mean, it's it's my position to make sure that from top to bottom that I have enough guys that are ready. Uh, you know, it's, it's a game of contact, and, and, you know, injuries happen, and to, you know, the next man up mentality. You know, when somebody goes down, the next man grabs a rifle, or he freaking takes that front line. So it's, it's my job as a position coach to make sure that I got guys ready, and when it comes time on September 2nd, we'll be there. With transfers and recruiting, how much did it help the fact that you've put guys in the NFL at linebacker position to get these guys in now? Oh, I mean, that's huge. I mean, that's a big part of it, um, you know. Everybody that's played football has dreams and aspirations to play on Sundays, right? And if they can foresee that actually becoming a reality, then that, that helps big time. Um, you know, there's a lot of things in linebacker play here at University of Utah that is appealing. Uh, number one is, in my opinion, we got one of the best D lines in the country. And as you guys know, linebacker play, okay, you're as good as the defensive front in front of you. And we've got a good defensive front. And so in recruiting, uh, you're seeking schools like University of Utah so you can play behind uh, these big defensive tackles in front of you. I'd like to ask opposing position coaches about the guys on the other side of the ball. From your perspective, how have the, I guess, the new faces for the most part in the running back room been? Yeah, love competition. Okay, those guys are workhorses. I love the running back group. We face running backs and tight ends quite a bit. And uh, man, from top to bottom, they've got a lot of depth as well. And um, uh, really excited about what they're bringing. I mean, day in day out, they're making us work as linebackers. And uh, really like uh, the running back group. I asked Kyle McDonald this the other day, but uh, Utah's brought in a lot of talent, raised the talent level really. And Utah's also been known as a program built on competition. How do you get guys that are coming in with maybe higher talent levels uh, to buy into that, that culture of competition? That's exactly what it is. It's a culture here, all right? This is what we're known for, right? Um, you know, you, you go back and you look at the amount of star recruits, right? And you're not pulling a ton of five-star recruits, right? So um, our culture is what makes Utah good, right? And, and that's what we rely on. Um, and so that's, at the end of the day, kind of what we're pushing for as coaches is, is that culture, that toughness, that grit, um, the, the willingness to be great, you know, and to outwork everybody. I know that you know having having Ethan and, and Mason as far as big time recruits coming in, um, could you know people could overlook Trey Reynolds? How does he fare so far? Trey Reynolds is a gritty, tough football player. He is. I love Trey Reynolds, and uh, like you said, people could overlook him, but he is. He's fantastic. He works his head off. He's got a work ethic like Devin Lloyd, and uh, he will wear that projector out in the film rooms, and he wants to be great. And what's funny is he's been here for what seven months now, and uh, yeah, he's really made a name for himself. Coach, you talked about um, Devin Lloyd's leadership. How have you seen him kind of bring along some of the younger linebackers so far? Well, I think, you know, I think there was linebackers here that did it for Devin. You know, the Cody Barton type linebackers that were here, the Francis Bernard type linebackers that were here. So um, they've, they've, over the years, it's been shown. And I think what they can see is how it's actually done. Uh, when you tow the line for gases and what, you know, the first team all Pac-12 linebacker looks like and what he does and how he acts throughout the day in his film study. And so it really helps to be able to see it, what it actually looks like.
besides you, who would be the best bulldogger? <laughs> Probably Trey Reynolds. <laughs> Probably Trey Reynolds. You gotta have, you gotta have sheer strength. That's in Trey Reynolds has that. <laughs> yeah, you gotta be a little loose up here too. You gotta be super loose. To jump off of a horse going about thirty-five miles an hour onto a, a steer. So, yeah, that's a good question. With the with Tavaga and obviously Ethan Calvert uh, being, you know, also recruits. Um, and you talked about the linebacker this year. How do you kind of see their roles? Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of roles that are being played, especially at a young age. I mean, there's a lot of special teams to be played. Uh, like I said, there's there's development. They, they need to look at what an all-conference actual player looks like. And, hey, are we at this point? No, let's get there. Okay, how do we get there? Those kinds of things. But, yeah, there's, as far as roles go, there's plenty of roles to be played. And, like, I, I answered the question earlier, it's my job to make sure that if, you know, one man goes down, the next man's ready you had a player in the spring game, Kareem Reed, that really kind of showcased some, some ability. And then you know, he's a walk-on. And then you've got another guy, Peyton Fury, who was also a walk-on. What does it mean, like, what does it say, the fact that you've got guys that are coming in as walk-ons that you know, fit your culture, your identity, and, and are producing? Right. That's a, that's a really good question. I'm a strong believer in recruiting walk-ons. Uh, I go out and I recruit a walk-on as if he's a scholarship athlete. Uh, and my hopes that that walk-on will earn the scholarship. And Kareem Reed, Hayden Fury, both of those guys, extremely hard work ethics, extremely athletic, extremely talented. Recruiting is not a science, and guys can get overlooked. Those guys are are, um, are good enough to play here. Those guys are talented enough, um, and I love everything about both those guys. They are, as you mentioned, had a great spring, both of them, and fired up about both of them thus far. What can you speak to you about uh, the line landing and his skill set? Lowe's doing a great job. Okay, he's a little bit new to the program. He's a transfer from Washington State. It took him a little bit longer to get in, so he's maybe not ahead of those mid-year younger guys that were here. But Lowe's, uh, what he's showing, I love his physicality. Okay, right off the top, uh, he's doing a great job. He's an all-in type of guy. Okay, he's more than willing to work hard. Um, he's a great attitude, great demeanor about him. He has great body language to him, so there's a lot of things foundationally that I like about him low so far. There's Colton Swan, the Utes linebacker coach. When we come back, BYU head coach Kalani Sataki with an update on the quarterback race. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Time to get an update on all things BYU. The head coach, Kalani Sataki, meeting with the media and an update on the quarterback race right now on 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. Well, Kalani, uh, just you've been at it for about a week now. I just wondered if you could give us an update on the quarterback race, if there's been any separation, how each of the three have looked, and just anything you can tell us on how that battle's going. Uh, as far as separation goes, uh, not um, highly visible right now, other than all three are much better than they were in spring, and they improve every day. So it's it's getting a little bit more difficult 
but uh, it's really no fault of theirs. They're, they're just stepping up and making some big plays, and um, I, I anticipate uh, some separation soon, especially when we start doing a lot more 11 on 11 work, and uh, that that'll probably happen in the next uh, week, week and a half or so. That as a follow up, when the decision is made, will will it be A Rod making the decision and going to you with it for approval, or how will that kind of unfold? Yeah, mostly A Rod and and Fessy, and then um, you know we we communicate a lot, so we'll. Uh, We'll be, be in it all together, but um, I'm going to lean heavily on the guys that spend the most time with them, and that's uh, those two. And, and, and obviously, A-Rod's the offensive coordinator so and, and the quarterback's coach, so it's, it's uh, heavy. The, the heavy part of it will be his, his to, to decide. Lonnie, the first, the first five offensive practices, A-Rod said, were, were scripted. What's, what's the next phase for the offense now that those five practices are in the rearview mirror? Is it more of a game-like situation for the for the offense? Exactly. Yeah, that, that's the goal is to get them used to just football, situational football, and that that that's uh, not something that you script. You, and it's also good work for our, our uh, communication from the, the play caller A Rod all the way to the to the signalers to the guys that can get lined up. So um, now we're trying to figure out uh, how to how to get in the flow of a game, who can lead. Um, the team down the field and then score points. And that's going to be the key in the next little bit. Right now, we, we were just trying to, in the first little bit, trying to establish a foundation of guys knowing the plays, knowing their assignments, how their alignments are supposed to be and the technique that they need to utilize. And then uh, now it's putting it all together and having it be uh, different times and not having it be so scripted. Now, this, before it was, the scripts were all situational. Now we're just going to go with the flow and, and go with the, the, with the plays. And that's going to be I think key for for those quarterbacks um, evolving and progressing to the the type of players that we want them to be leading the way against Arizona. And you noted earlier in camp that you'd love to have 123 starter type players in the program, but in reality, how many starters that you feel confident right now that could play in a moment's notice in your program at the moment? You know, I haven't counted them all up, and I know I said that last time I talked to you guys that we have more than 11 on each side. I really believe we do. Um, I just have to go up and count how many guys we feel comfortable as a coaching staff being being one of the starters. I really believe that um, that's my job as a head coach is to get the depth ready and get the whole team ready to start and play for us, uh, regardless of, of um, you know what type of team we have. I, I think my goal is to get all the guys in a position where they should be able to get on the field and help us win games. And so, is it is it achievable? I don't know, but we're going to try to do our best and. I don't know the, the exact number right now, but I know we have a good number of them. And there's a lot of guys that, that can change day to day right now. There's a lot of guys that made huge improvements from last week to now. And then if you can do that in, in five practices, imagine what can happen in the next five. Hey, Norma, go ahead. Hey, Kalani. So just looking based off of uh, what you guys had of us in regards to the talent coming back, um, it seems like the offense is much um, stronger than the defense because they are fairly young and the offense just has an incredible depth and across the board in multiple positions. Would you say that's the case? And if so, how do you get the defense to sort of start rising up to the occasion? Well, I think we have certain defensive guys that, that have a lot more experience than people uh, can remember. For some reason, a lot of people don't remember all the the reps and the snaps that our corners and, and our linebackers have, you know, and, and 
I think we have a lot of young guys in terms of, of roster years, and but uh, they, they still have some good, valuable experience. And that's the key is that everybody learns at their own pace, so we just need to hurry it up a little bit. And um, It's not, not a very patient world when you're dealing with, with coaches, but um, we, ha- we have to utilize all the time. And so the next little, to answer your question, um, we have to ramp it up a little bit more. And sometimes um, you, you, you drown them with, with so much um, install that it's hard for players to, to really play because they're and let loose because they're thinking so much. And um, really, we can't slow down. Um, we can't slow down the pace that we're trying to go at because we're, we're looking at the pace of getting ready for Arizona. And it's, it's really up to the players to, to match the pace and the tempo that we're going as far as learning the scheme and learning the system and then being ready to play. Right now, you have a lot of guys that can ro- you can roll with. Um, we have to go quickly, and we, we have a goal to get to a standard, certain standard that we have to meet. But um, eventually, in about a week or so, we can rally those other guys back and do a little bit more specialized. But right now, we're trying to get as much install in and much film in before we start figuring out what we're really good at and what we can do where we f- feel can give us an advantage against Arizona. So would you say that the offense is more dominant uh, right now as of where you are right now in Paul Camp? It's hard to judge that when you're not really playing full football, when you're just doing like scripted reps and things like that. It's it's difficult to say that. I, I, I know that there's times that practice looks really ugly, and I'm okay with that because that's that means that we're trying to work through practice, trying to get in a situation where guys get better and guys may take chances and be a little aggressive on both sides of the ball. And then there's times where we're going to have to play 11 on 11 football where nothing's scripted and that's where we're going to start seeing um you know who's who's got the upper hand here and so we're gonna start doing that this this later part of this week and looking at the next three practices doing that and then we'll see what happens and that's that's probably where you're going to get some separation a lot of positions including the quarterback but uh right now it's hard for me to say that when everything's been really scripted reps and um one-on-ones and so it's it's not real football when you're looking at at the entire in the in the entire process of what we're trying to do in practices. How are you feeling, by the way, Norma? Norma, are you feeling okay? Yeah. Yesterday I was still kind of recovering and had another little tachycardia issue where I got really fatigued and my heart was racing, but pretty pretty good. Good to hear. Hopefully, all the smoke gets out of the way so we can get back to real life football, having you guys around. Although I'm getting used to this, I don't know why. This seems almost normal now. Glad you're doing better, Norma. Glad you're doing better, Norma. Uh, Greg, go ahead. You're up next. And then anyone else, if you have questions, go ahead and raise your hand in the chat or in the on Zoom. Hey, Kalani. Uh, Brett may actually have a better number or updated number. Uh, I was just tracking this yesterday. and came up with 17 players on your roster that have fathers who played at BYU. Uh, what's the value of legacy guys in your program? Sons of fathers, many of the fathers you know, played with, of having that kind of chain kind of continue to, to, to link up over time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I never counted that up, Greg, but that's, I think it's a cool thing. I wonder how many have had um, grandfathers or family members that have played here. Um, I, I think having legacy kids is a, is a big part of, of um, what we're trying to accomplish here is that those guys that have been raised BYU, um, you know, there's not a lot of new things when you're recruiting them, not a lot of things that they don't already know about, especially when it, in terms of culture and especially those guys that played for Lavelle, they know that I'm trying to run a similar system. So um, 
uh, we get to know them and get to see that they fit our program perfectly. And I think they're they're for what we're trying to promote from the school mission and our team mission. It seems like an easy transition. So um, it, I don't want to be just limited to that. Also, I just want to make sure that we're open to recruit the best kids out there. And there's just a high number of them happen to be sons of, of you know former BYU players. Thanks. All right. Um, does anyone else have a question they still have for Kalani? I've got another one, if that's okay. Go ahead, Jay. Kalani, a couple people have mentioned that Pepe Tanavasa has really taken well to this new kind of rush end position. Uh, so first, would you agree with that, and in what way has he kind of taken well to it? And then also, how has Preston Hadley done as moving and coaching directly the defensive ends and, and so far has that move kind of paid off for you? Yeah, I think I'll answer the Preston one first. Preston's done an amazing job. Uh, he's just a ball coach, so, so it doesn't really matter what position you give him. He's going to flourish in it. But I'm really excited about the unique perspective he has uh, of, of the, uh, the front, especially the DNs and that, of those hybrids, uh, being aware of what's happening in the coverage. And so uh, I think uh, just giving that perspective is, is unique. But, um, you know, you look at Preston. Preston's a, st a student of the game, so he's going to learn as much as he can and, and do his homework and do his research and get, get our guys to kind of fit. He looks at our personnel group and looks at our, our players and tries to find the best place for those guys to flourish and talks to Itu Yaki about getting a system and, and, and putting them in a scheme that would work. Um, Pepe was kind of a tweener where, where we were trying to make him a linebacker and trying to make him a, a, a DN, and he was kind of didn't fit the system. So uh, I, I give a lot of credit to Tuyaki and to Coach Hadley and Lamb and, and Guilford and Kloon for devising a plan where those guys can actually have a role and then having the opportunity to have Preston be able to coach those guys up as well as the, 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 the guys that put their hands on the ground as DN. So... Uh, I think having an extra coach uh, do the DNs is going to be huge for us. It allows E. Tuyaki to do more things as a coordinator and turn over the D-line even to, to Preston and, and the graduate assistant. So it's been, it's been really nice. I like the perspective that he has in the, in the game. And um, a lot of us, if you look at this coaching staff, have coached other positions. I've coached every position other than quarterbacks, you know, so... Um, if you're a ball coach, you should be able to coach any side of the ball, any position, as long as you know the, the basics and the, the technique to, that you're trying to, you know, have your players do. But in answer to Pepe, Pepe is an amazing talent, and we just want to, we just feel like he, there's a, a scheme where he can really do well, and that's kind of devising that plan where he can play. I think we call, this is a jack and a different position, jack OE position, where he can be a stand-up, he can be hands on the ground if we need him but he can do a lot of different things and it's utilizing his skill set rather than making him lose weight and change the way that he does things or gain weight and be a down hand on the ground type of the end. I think devising a scheme and a personnel set where guys like him have a home and that's a big part of that is having Preston there. All right, Jason, go ahead. And then um, Mitch, you can have a follow up after that. Kalani, first and foremost, uh, fantastic wardrobe choice today. Uh, really liking what you're wearing there. Uh, students are wearing the same thing. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the running backs, and in, in specifically the guys behind Tyler and Lopini. How are those guys behind those two looking? 
Well, that, that, we're gonna have to see how those guys handle themselves in live work. You know, it, it's uh, right now they're they're learning the plays and they're getting things down, and then they're they're doing really really good when it's it's not live. I mean, but that's once we get things and get tackling and get things going eleven on eleven. I think we'll be able to see who can really handle it. I, I have a good feeling that all of them can do it. Um, it just they just happen to be ha- be behind two really really solid running backs. But uh, I really like that group a lot, and we'll see how they improve when we get live and start doing things. And keeping them healthy is going to be a key. But but we've got to test them uh, in, in live situations. That's coming up real soon. Speaking of Tyler. Coming off just a fantastic year, Lopini had a good year too, but specifically for Tyler, coming off the year he had, what areas are there still room for improvement for him? Oh, there's tons. Yeah, there's, I mean, you're looking at perfecting his game. It's, it, there's, there's a few plays that he wishes he could improve on, and, uh, and there's also opportunity to get better at blocking, catching the ball. All those things matter, but what I really want him to do is, is step up and become the leader that we, we started to see already since the end of the season him being a vocal leader and that's not his deal but he's getting out of his comfort zone he's learning how to become a leader and the players are really taking take they're just really taken to him as, as a leader they they love following him and, and it's, it's not really that difficult when when you're a guy that just does everything right and works extremely hard so uh, we just need him to keep mentoring these young guys along and and being uh, one of the main leaders on our team and, and so far he's doing a good job thanks coach Bonnie, I wanted to ask you about the uh, newcomers that uh, joined the cornerback room and Jacob Robinson and Caleb Hayes. Maybe uh, what type of uh, impact have they brought to the, to the competitive depth in that uh, cornerback room that already appeared to be pretty deep? What has uh, Hayes and Robinson brought to that room? Oh, yeah. I mean, they got size and speed, um, exactly what we're looking for. Uh, they have a lot of talent. And so, uh, you know, adding, adding to our depth and our talent, that's huge for us. But I really feel good with what Gennaro's done with that group, man. He, it's a it's a solid corner group, and we just got to keep testing them. And so, uh, yeah, I think there's a there's a chance that we'll see a, a, a lineup with a lot of different corners co- uh, contributing to our success on defense, and it just helps out having having guys that are, that are here that are all pretty much game ready, and then we just teach them our, our our system and the way they go. But so far, from what I've seen. They have the talent individually to, to really be something special here for us. There's BYU head coach Kalani Sataki. When we come back, Joe Ingles is talking Olympics and his reaction when his phone blew up with news that he might be getting traded. Joe will explain next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Hey, yeah. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells. Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. 
This is the Joe Ingles Show <laughs> with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Joe Ingles joins us now on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Joe, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Still got the medal around your neck? I've got no. I haven't got much of a voice left, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't right now. I just went to Jacob's school to drop him off, so um, no, I wasn't going to uh, make this trip. <laughs> I, I personally, if I think if I won an Olympic medal, which I'm not going to, but if I did, I think I would wear it around when I drop kids off at school, just wear it to the grocery store or whatever. Just wear it. Uh, yeah, I, I actually took, I took Jacob to school yesterday, and all his teachers, when I dropped him off, were very surprised that I didn't have it on. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the last 72 hours that I went through before that, before landing here, was pretty rough. So, um, yeah, good to take a break. <laughs> I heard there was some commotion at the airport that people were waiting for you. Would you come in on Monday night? Um, I have no idea what day it is now, and I don't know what day I got in. Um, but, I mean, it, people are there, like my family. Is that what They're the only people that I wanted at the airport. Right, but um, I heard that people knew you were coming in with your, with, your, with your medal and everything, and they were there to congratulate. Maybe not, but that's what I'd heard. Yeah, someone liked you. It was just my family. Well, after everyone was real cool, then after you turned around and walked away, people were staring at you then because there were people texting on the plane and going nuts and all that kind of stuff. So I'm curious, you, you told us you wanted, the, you wanted a medal, and Australia had been 0 for 8 in games with medals on the line, and you lost the semis, so it was 0 for 9. So I'm curious, in the middle of that game, knowing how bad you wanted it, was it just another basketball game, or was it a different deal because you knew what was at stake every minute of the game? Um, I mean, it was it was probably the most different feeling I've had in a basketball game, if, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, like you said, I think all time for, for playing off for a medal, whether that be the semifinal or a third, fourth game, we were 0-11. So, um, obviously, as a country, our first Olympics was 1964, I think it was, which was in Tokyo, um, which is coincidental, but... Um, so to go through all those Olympic campaigns and, and World Cups, obviously, between that as well, but, but never medal. And um, We built this thing for 12 years since, since Patty and myself joined it in 2007-2008. Um, obviously, the goal was to, to win a gold medal. That's what I don't think any team was going there to lose or to, to not play well or, or whatever. And um, Once we lost the semifinal to, to the U.S., um, it's a it's a weird feeling because you're frustrated because you lost the game and we were up 15 at one point in that game so we knew obviously we could have beat them if we kept and, and played um, a bit more consistently obviously we knew how good a team they were um, and it's a hard thing and I think what we've struggled with in the past is I guess the mental part between losing that game and in 36 hours having to back it up to, to still play off for a medal and We've the last three, four. 
in the group, the guys that had been there those last few campaigns, there was, there was just no way we were going to lose. Um, obviously, we were up against a, a hell of a team, and, and obviously Luca, but um, the, the vibe was really good within that group, and I obviously personally feel like we, we were just never going to lose that game. So you talk about how this is a 12-year mission, basically, for Australian basketball. Uh, how much have you seen the Australian basketball as a whole in a country, and then in your particular case, the national team, progress over those 12 years? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a 65-year mission, really, since we first made the Olympics. But it's um, obviously, since I've been involved, we've been going pretty hard on this. Um, I think a lot of it, too, is that the mindset that, that teams or organizations or whatever it is businesses have and um, we never had a not that we ever had a bad culture or, or mindset but I I think the, the 12 years ago 10 years ago once we, we've been to a, a campaign or two shifting the mindset from just dying and obviously hoping to, to win some games to like we, we, we can win this thing like we can genuinely and, and obviously like I said it took time but I remember 2008 and 2012 in, in Beijing and London, we crossed over with America. And, I mean, going into the game, I was young and pretty immature as well, but um, we knew for us to win that game, some, something pretty miraculously had to happen. And the, the mindset shift from, from then to what it has been for the last kind of eight years of, of these last few campaigns and, and World Cups and stuff, um, we've gone to, to win the tournament out of the 32 teams in the World Cup and the 16 at the Olympics, um, our mindset has been to, to win a gold medal. And that's been, obviously, you guys have, have heard us talk about it. It's been in the media. It's been every interview we've talked about. And it's it's a very different mindset than what we had in 2008. Um, even the guys, one of our assistant coaches was my roommate in 2008 and, and the captain of our team then. And he, he would tell you, now our coach was, our coach that we just had, he was our same coach in, in Beijing as well. And very, very different mindset. And the gold medal and the, the, that mindset wasn't just the players or the, 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 the coaches. It was the, the staff. It was the physios. It was the Basketball Australia admin. It was the, the media lady. We had, everybody had to have a standard of gold medal. Like that's, the, that's the standard. If you don't want to kind of advise to that standard, then we don't want you a part of this this, this uh not a not an organisation, but this uh, this team, I guess, and um, it, it's taken some time. And, and I think obviously we've got got great people in, in all those roles. And everything we did from from the minute we got to Irvine in in Los Angeles for our first camp was a gold medal standard. And I think the disappointment from the US game, and then to, to bounce back the way we did, and again, obviously giving. Slovenia and Luca a lot of credit because I don't think anyone even expected them to be in the tournament from, from the teams they had to play as well to, to even qualify and for them to get through that and keep playing and, and make the top four is a, a hell of an effort and um, again we knew what we were up against but um, yeah I just like I said before I, there was just no doubt in my mind we were, we were going we to lose that game so what is the reaction like from Australia? Obviously, you haven't been able to go home in a while, but you're still tied into people there. What, what happens to your phone when you finally get that medal? Oh, it was unbelievable. Um, and I think the other part, which, which obviously we understood as, as a team, was um, uh, Australia's been in and out of lockdowns, and they're actually currently right now in um, two, three, four, I don't know how many weeks they're up to, but... 
um, in a pretty strict lockdown. So they've been stuck in their houses, could only leave for a couple of things. And um, the, the joy that it brought kids, families, parents, grandparents, people that have watched our team, people that support Australia, um, the, the joy and happiness that it brought so many people was, was such a good feeling. Um, so obviously that was that was that was awesome to, to feel and hear those messages and then um, I mean friends, family, random people. Like <laughs> I think I've I still haven't um, I literally have not looked at any of the messages in my phone yet. Um, and there's a lot of them and I'll eventually slowly get back to people. But um, I mean post post game was obviously celebration time for us. Um, right after the game up until um, I landed in, in Salt Lake. So um, it's been a long, it was a long 72 hours. And it's been nice to, to celebrate and, and obviously spend some time with Renee and the kids and obviously the kids understanding. Um, I walked through the, the terminal to, to get out to the kids um, a couple of days ago and the first thing Miller said was like, where's your medal? Like, and for her to, to understand it and, and want to see it was, was obviously pretty special, but it's... Um, yeah, my phone's got a lot of a lot of messages that I'll eventually get back to. But um, yeah, it's been a like I said, it's been a long seventy-two hours. So, what do you need to do now as far as preparing for the season? Do you need to just veg for a little bit, or how are you going to handle that? I mean, in the nicest possible way. I haven't even thought one second about it. Um, again, it's been a, a hell of a five or six weeks and twelve years leading up to this, and. Um, right now, I'm enjoying my time at home with, with the kids and heading away tomorrow for a little bit just to spend some some time on the beach with, with the kids. Miller and Jacob have only talked about Dad and the beach for about two months here, so we're going to go spend some time together. Um, I haven't spoken to one person from the Jazz yet in terms of um, when to be back or, or what the scheduling looks looking like. Um, I think they're in... I don't even know. I think they're in Vegas right now, aren't they? Yeah. I don't even know where they are. Yeah. Um, I've been honestly completely kind of switched off from that part of the world. Uh, we've, we've been so locked in on, on this goal. And, um, yeah, once I get a couple of days here away, I'll, I'll obviously reach out to people and, um, yeah, just kind of see what the plan going forward is. But, um, yeah, to, I guess, simply ask and answer your first question, a, a bit of rest is definitely first and foremost. And, um, spending time with my, my family. Joe Ingles joining us. Joe, you're going to trash talk Rudy. I mean, he gets silver, you get bronze, but that's just because they ran into the United States later and you ran into him earlier. I think you're going to have a word with him. Well, they're the only team that lost in the last two games, I think. America won and we won. So <laughs> they're the only team that got a, got a medal and lost. So, um, but no, no, it was, I mean, obviously, yeah, the, the way they played the, the second round or whatever you want to call it, they kind of just pulled him out of the hat and you just get kind of placed wherever and obviously a couple of teams you can't face with, with the seedings um, but yeah I mean it was obviously happy for him as well and um, got to see him uh, obviously at the, the medal celebration and um, yeah happy for him I don't know where he is either right now I think he's in Paris somewhere um, but yeah pretty cool to, to have two guys with, with medals coming back and um, obviously, at some point, we'll, we'll get back to the, the facility and have plenty of, of stories to share. So, do you even know that the Jazz re-signed Conley, signed Rudy Gay, his son Whiteside, and traded for uh, Pascal Mitchell's friend? Um, yeah, I know a little bit of pieces. I 
I've I've honestly been so switched off from it. Um, again, not in a, a negative way or anything, but I've I've tried to stay so locked in on what this goal was, and, and obviously it was worth worth every minute of it because we we brought a medal home. But um, obviously you do see the things that have gone on, and um, yeah, my phone blew up a couple of times with some nice trade rumours, which was nice to wake up to when I'm <laughs> trying to get ready for it. Trying to get ready for a semi-final, and everyone's asking me when I'm leaving. Yeah, what do you um, think about playing for the Warriors, Joe? <laughs> I mean, a part of it's like it, it obviously pisses you off because you, especially me, like I've obviously never asked or thought about leaving. Um, obviously, a part of it is out of my control. If they don't want me, then they don't want me, and I'm not going to sulk about it. I'll go. I'll uh, I'll do what everyone kind of told to do, or traded to do, whatever the. I don't know how I've never really been in any of those rumours. So, um, yeah, obviously I woke up and was a little bit surprised, I guess. But um, again, uh, I think I, I think I called Renee and was like, "What the f?" And then <laughs> again, it was like obviously it's out of my control. And I've had, at the time, I had way bigger things going on and um, had friends texting me asking what's going on and and if it's true or whatever and. I mean, you're better off calling. I said, I told all the I mean, you guys can ask somebody, Justin, but it's out of my control. So I was trying to get ready for our our games and, and focus on that. And um, obviously, a little bit of a distraction, but it is what it is. It's part of, uh, part of, part of this business. Well, you know, the other way to look at it, and possibly you don't look at it like this, the other way to look at it is the Warriors aren't making any moves without Steph Curry signing off on stuff. Somebody wanted you, and that they that there would be any traction at all. The offer must have been pretty good, and the Jazz apparently didn't want to do it because you're still playing for the Jazz. Does any of that flatter you? Any part of that? Or the Jazz really wanted to get rid of me, and they couldn't find anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've got a bronze medal, and I'm going to the beach tomorrow. yeah, it is what it is. Like I said, it's it's a part of the business. Um, I guess you know, the the different awkward part or whatever was I, was I was obviously heavily focused on something, and my my phone was blowing up with something. Obviously, at that point, kind of something that I didn't want to be thinking about. So, obviously, glad nothing did happen. Um, like I said, I've only really played here, um, and I've, I've obviously openly said that I only want to play here, but. Um, yeah, see what happens. <laughs> Trade deadline's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it could go either way, but my guess is that you're going to be here. You're going to retire here. They're going to have a Joe Ingles Day and all that stuff uh, in the short term as far as that. Uh, is it something that uh, you've been able or, or – after they made these moves, I don't even know if you've, you've spoken out, you've been so preoccupied – if you believe that the team is better now, because it looks like on paper to us anyway, and obviously we've been talking about it, that man, you guys got a you got a really good shot, if not a better shot than you had this past season. Next season, yeah, obviously, obviously bringing Mike back was a, a big piece of that, and for them to be able to get that done, and um, and then the other the, the other guys we got um, all bring I guess a, a bit of a different um, a different look to what we what we had last year. Um, and previous years, so um, we're probably a bit deeper, which is good as well. And um, 
Yeah, it's something, again, obviously I haven't thought too much about. You're literally the first person that I've thought about it with or spoken to with. So, um, yeah, I, you obviously go in, especially from my point of view, you go in pretty confident with um, what the organisation's going to do and, and the ownership's going to do. And um, obviously they did what, what, what was felt was, was needed for, for our team. And um, obviously on the, the flip side of that, now it's on the players on, on us to, to go out and execute and, and do what we need to do and, um, and obviously get further than last year and, and, and keep going going forward and forward. So, um, yeah, it'll be, be nice to, again, like I said, get, get away for a couple of days here and sit down and, and have a look at it all and um, obviously start reaching out to some guys and um, almost kind of switching hats back to, to the Jazz slash NBA. So, um, yeah, I'll get there soon. <laughs> yeah, well, enjoy it and soak it up for now, that's for sure. Enjoy enjoy the beach vacation, Joe. You got your favorite beach or you like to rotate around? Um, I know where I mean I know where I'm going. <laughs> so we, like, oh we no, go. I, more do you always go to the same place. I don't expect you to say where it is. You don't need a bunch of jazz fans following you, but I just <laughs> wondered if you had one lockdown that you always go to or you take different beach vacations and go different places. Yeah, no, we go different um a lot of the time every all star break and, and all that. I mean, honestly, it's, it's mostly off um, questions of other people, of, of where people have been and, and gone and, and kind of testing it out. So, um, yeah, we've got obviously be very, very low-key and um, it's purely 100% about um, being with Renee and the kids. And um, like I said, it's, as soon as towards the end of last season and then the, the end of the off-season, sorry, Miller and, and Jacob have have purely been saying they want to go to the beach with Dad, and it's been a constant sentence that's come out of their mouth. And, and I promised once we were obviously I knew what I had to do after the season, and um, as soon as we had an opportunity, we were going to take off. So tomorrow morning it is, and um, we'll go yeah, go hang out. And um, man, it's crazy just to spend five five or six weeks away, and how much bigger the twins are, and Jax looks like a. 18-year-old kid, a little kid now. Uh, it's, it's crazy how uh, how short a time in the in the span of his life, but, but sure. obviously how big a difference it makes um, in the short term. So um, awesome feeling to be back and awesome to be back in Utah. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get things going soon. All right, Joe. Well, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for squeezing us in before you, uh, you head off to the beach. Cool. I'll... Uh, I'll speak to you guys soon. All right, there is Joe Ingles. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag college football. Oh, there's tons. You're looking at perfecting his game. It's, there's a few plays that he wishes he could improve on, and there's also opportunity to get better blocking, catching the ball. All those things matter, but what I really want him to do is, is step up and become the leader that we started to see already since the end of the season, him being a vocal leader, and that's not his deal, but he's getting out of his comfort zone. He's learning how to become a leader, and the players are really taken to him as, as a leader. They, they love following him, and, and it's not really that difficult when you're a guy that just does everything right and works extremely hard, so we just 
just need him to keep mentoring these young guys along and being uh, one of the main leaders on our team. And, and so far, he's doing a good job. That's Kalani Sataki, BYU's head coach, talking about running back Tyler Algier. Coming off a thousand-yard season, one of the better players on the team. Can he turn him into a leader, make him more vocal? Or you are who you are, PK. Ah, that stuff. Just, just win games, man. You need to be vocal. And you need to be led. I, I want 22 leaders. That would be good if you had that. Lead yourself to the best you can be. I don't need nobody to lead me. Clemson's got a new leader. They got a new quarterback. DJ Ugalale. How'd I do, Yak? I took a deep breath and then dove in. Uyungalale. 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 Yeah. Silent somewhat. Partnered with Dr. Pepper. He's going to appear in their Fansville ad campaign throughout the 2021 college football season this fall. The company announced that Wednesday. We were just talking about this in the last day or two. Lots of guys are getting local deals, but some guys are going to get national deals and get a lot more money. And will that just keep the balance of power that's gotten out of whack over the last decade out of whack? It seems like it probably (laughs) will. I don't think this changes anything. No, it's been out of whack, so it doesn't change it. Keeps Clemson dominant. So what are you asking? Will there be national ads for our star players outside of the top two, three, four teams? Fine, sure, but who cares? It's not going to change who wins the most. More than five years after Baylor fired football coach Art Browse in response to a scathing review of the university's handling of sexual assault allegations made against students, including football players, the NCAA ruled on Wednesday the Browse and the university didn't violate its rules by their inaction. So they get four years probation and impose some recruiting restrictions against the program and fine them $5,000. So the real penalty was Art got fired. That was the real penalty. Well, that's a penalty to Art. Right. Sucks for Art. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. NFL preseason. We've had one game, the Hall of Fame game. It gets underway in earnest tonight. Two games. The Washington football team and the New England Patriots. Also the Steelers playing the Eagles. I told you it's the pigskins. Say it into existence. (laughs) The Indianapolis Colts get some good news. It appears that quarterback Carson Wentz and Pro Bowl guard Quentin Nelson are trending towards being available for the season opener after they underwent operations last week to repair the same foot injury. The original timeline was 5 to 12 weeks. Apparently that surgery went well and it's going to be the short end of that timeline. Get their guys back. I thought it would be more along the 4 to 13 one. Yeah. 4 to 13 instead of 5 to 12? Yeah. A lot for him to be wrong in both directions, huh? And it's going to end up being like 6.2. That's great. And then how long will Carson Wentz be able to stay out there? Four quarters. He has had more seasons impacted by injury than not. So Has he? Yeah, I think it's three out of five. After consecutive days of throwing, Cowboy quarterback Dak Prescott has experienced no residual soreness in his right shoulder. Had a strain there. He hopes to return to practice on a full-time basis next week and maybe play August 21st against Houston. 
If everything keeps progressing the way it's been, I'm going to be optimistic about that, Prescott said. Keep doing the things I need to do, being very cautious with it, though, making sure, more importantly, that I'm ready for the season opener. And he's still got a month to get ready for that. DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz Summer League team beat the Dallas Mavericks 81-80 in double overtime. Jazz will be back in action tomorrow against the Heat, 3 o'clock on ESPNU. That was crazy drama at the end of that, PK. They blew a seven-point lead. So you watched. I was told about that part. I did not see the fourth quarter. I was flicking around and hit the it in overtime. fourth quarter? You didn't see the fourth quarter? No, I flicked in for overtime. Who told you? Nobody has channel surfing. You just said I was told by that. Well, the announcer of the game oh. said it was a 10-3 run. Did I like, tell you? I tuned in. I tuned in for the uh, the three-pointer that Elijah Hughes hit. He was out because of concussion. That's why he didn't play. Concussion protocol. Yeah, I know that. Well, you said he didn't play in that game, so that was bad for him. So he played last night. Who cares he did. about before? Stay he did, and he hit the three at the end of the fourth quarter after a 10-0 run. Got him to overtime. And then Dallas made a mess of the last 30 seconds and. Jazz won a double overtime on a free throw. Such as it is, Dallas. Exactly. Uh, but, yeah, Forrest looked good again. And as Bouquet blocked a whole bunch of shots. Six blocks for him. And I had a uh, – Forrest missed a free throw, and he had a – or, no, excuse me, Elijah Hughes missed a free throw. And he had the offensive rebound and the putback dunk to tie it. But then the free throw form you were talking about reared its ugly head because he was fouled on the dunk and he had a chance to hit the go-ahead free throw and – it's not happening. Nope. He shot a line drive at the hoop, and that wasn't going in. I mean, it's happenstance if it goes in. It's 3 o'clock tomorrow on ESPNU if you want some more Summer League basketball. The Jazz and the Heat. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Longtime NBA veteran J.R. Smith is enrolled at North Carolina A&T, and he wants to join the historically black university men's golf team. Has to be cleared by the NCAA. Seems like that ought to be able to happen, right? And they're long past the point where you can be pro in one sport and play in another. Now he's got NIL stuff. I don't see why he wouldn't get cleared. Yeah, what do you think about him taking the spot of a young black kid who needs to be on that team? That wouldn't be great. I hope that's not the case. I get it. He's into golf. It's in his blood. It's been in his blood. I understand that. I have it too. He went straight from high school to college. So he hasn't straight from excuse high me to the pro. from high school to the pros. So he hasn't been to college. He hasn't started his eligibility clock. Probably give you a walk on and pay his own way. You know. Yes, but you have Title Nine there, I know, that's and a good point. Uh, so even even that still causes issues. Yep. I hope it doesn't do that for for him to get some kicks out of it. Maybe it doesn't. If it doesn't, fine. But if it does, it seemed to me that. Uh, Somebody who could use that spot, but squeezing, maybe it doesn't. Squeezing an 18 or 19-year-old. Maybe out. it doesn't play to that, and so it doesn't matter. Spurs assistant coach Becky Hammond told the Associated Press she hopes for a time when it is normal for women to interview for head coaching positions in the NBA, and their gender isn't the story. It's huge and important. It's something that can't be just checking the box. You have to hire the best person. Half the world's population has not been tapped for their mind and ability and skill sets in the sports world. It's something that needs to change. Half the population. So what is she saying? All women haven't been tapped? Right. Okay, how about the Miami Marlins have a uh, a leader at the top who's female? 
Well, I think she was talking about NBA coaches, but you know, to the bigger point, Amy Trask uh, ran uh, the Raiders for a while. Well, isn't the Spurs? The Spurs are on the clock for her. Because you would think when you have success, you promote from within, and since Popovich is over 70, yeah, he's going to be stepping down at some point, especially since they're going into the full rebuild. They kind of tried to manage it on the fly, and that's trended in the wrong direction. I don't think they would hire someone to check a box. I don't think there's ever going to be enough pressure to do that. Yeah, when she said check the box, I don't know if she was referencing to uh, having someone to interview. Uh, We interviewed someone, so we can say we checked that box. Or she's talking about literally hiring the best person, because that's where she went afterwards. I think she was talking about hiring. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Move over Tom Seaver. Corbin Burns ties a Major League record, strikes out 10 consecutive batters. In a game the Brewers dominated, they blew out the Cubs 10 to nothing. 10 in a row, PK. They couldn't touch him. Dominant. Had it going. Yeah, he's been good. That's excellence in one game. Excellence over career. Miguel Cabrera hit home run number 499. His Tigers beat the Orioles 5-2. 500, legendary mark. Bet off the top of your head, you can name a bunch of guys who had 500 homers. It's a big, round, glorious number. I can only name Albert Pujols, Mark McGuire, and Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds. <laughs> okay. You can't name Babe Ruth or Hank Aaron or Willie Mays. Dodgers losing Mookie Betts, going on the injured list. He's had hip problems. They won without him. Dodgers beat the Phillies 8-2. Cody Bellinger hit a couple of home runs. Belly's getting hot. He's got four in the last four games, man. Otani's been cooling off. Just had his longest stretch of the year without a home run. But he hit his 38th, which is still tops in the major leagues. He's only hit five since the All-Star break. Dodgers win. Keeps pace with the Giants. Giants hit four homers, beat the Diamondbacks 7-2. They got it. They got it going on. Bees open a series against the Sacramento Rivercats tonight at Smith's Ballpark at 635. Get your tickets at slbs.com. Coverage begins here on The Zone with Steve Klauke at 620. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Matt George, host of the Locked on Kings podcast, will join us to discuss... Hassan Whiteside has moved from Sacramento to Utah. Statistically, that was not a good year last year, but with their extenuating circumstances, will Whiteside be more the player he was two or three years ago as opposed to what he did with the Kings? We'll talk with Matt George about that. And also, got the Utah State star, Nina Keita there. So we'll talk about his transition to the pros. Greg Rubel, play-by-play voice of the BYU Cougars, will join us coming up at 9 o'clock. That's all on the way right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. 
He is the athletic director at the University of Utah. Mark Harlan with us here on The Big Show. I want to get your thoughts on realignment. I'd be interested to hear your perspective on where you think we're going. I like to think things don't surprise me anymore, and that one certainly did. I've had time to reflect, and it probably shouldn't surprise me based on Big 12 members having to commit to grants of rights and those kind of things. And obviously those two schools made a decision for their future. I love the approach our commissioner, George Klyovkov, has taken on this. That You know, it's silly not to listen. I think that's leadership. I think you should listen. And those schools that are interested in talking to the Pac-12, I'm excited about what the future is for our league. We've got 12 great schools, and I think our commissioner's approach to this makes a lot of sense. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK in the morning is proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. Time proudly presented. That's what it says. Proudly presented. Shoulders back. I heard you. I like it. Jaw jutting out. Very nice. Question of the day. We got two of them. We got multiple things going on, but one of them. Joe Ingles came on our air less than 24 hours ago. We just replayed it for you. Uh, in the 6 o'clock hour, Joe said when he heard about the trade rumors involving himself, he said it pissed me off. Would you rather the Jazz try to win the title or trade him to try to get a better shot at the championship? What would you prefer, Eric? Trade him. He's a defensive liability. Gray, Joe's deep threat. And ball handler. He's a jazz man. Keep him here. The audience is divided, PK. Right out of the gate. What's funny is that Joe did not go to college, but he must, he might have the most collegian connection to the jazz of any player in jazz history. Who wasn't the bona fide slam dunk superstar. Define the collegian connection. One of our guys. Yeah, you feel like he's your guy. He came up, came on the team, was a (laughs) walk-on, and rose to stardom. And the proverbial, I bleed whatever colors the Jazz are these days. Green and blue and white and copper. Yellow. Yellow and Spurs balls, on a, just an unbelievable fan connection. Yeah. yeah. There's never been a player like this. And his wife's in the community. And because of the situation with Australia, they, they locked down at the drop of a hat. You have their... They have to stay in this country, and they have to stay here. Obviously, they're going to stay in the country. They're going to stay here. We already heard Mike Conley. What have you been doing? Oh, I've been back in Columbus, Ohio. These players can't get out of town fast enough. And gone. And there's no problem with them getting out of town fast enough. If they're they're not from here, you go home, wherever your home might be. I have no problem with that. But Joe, his American home is here. After the Olympics, he flies here. And has stakes waiting for him. <laughs> <laughs> On his Traeger. Mrs. Ingalls. Tomahawks, no less. The kids, the teachers at school, can't believe he doesn't have the gold me- or uh, bronze medal with him. As he said. There's nobody else like that. The, the, the statues, did they run back to Salt Lake City? 
when they won their gold? Mm, no. They went home. Quickly. And because of circumstances, home is here. And it's further strengthened and deepened the roots. I mean, we might want to have Joe Ingles Boulevard soon. <laughs> the Ingles Plaza. Ooh, I like it. He's come on the air and told his story every week for years. He's had time for fans. And they have bonded to him because of that. Unlike anything that we've ever seen. Everything in sports is going the other direction. Tell fewer stories, have less time, interact less, stay behind the gates or stay behind the walls. All of that. In all of sports. College and pro. Football and basketball. Across the board, everything's trending the other direction. Joe's going the other way. And people warm to him because of it. So it's a collegiate connection. And he didn't go to college. That's crazy. Yeah, and when you say collegiate collection, you really mean that, that kind of in the 20th century meaning of that. Oh, I think that some, that, I think players in college have a great connection. Uh, some do, but some the, do, the transferring, yes. it's all accelerating. Fine, but, there's still, but there's still some that do. Yeah, I mean, I think the Utes felt so great to see these kids from Florida come here and stay here the whole time and call themselves Utes. Absolutely. And I think it warms their hearts when Kalani says, this is the team I rooted for as a kid. This is the team I played for. This is where I want to be. Yeah, I think that they get all warm and fuzzy over that stuff. Sure, so there might be 98%, but as long as there's some, it's plenty good enough. And they feel that deep connection. And we're going to have Rubel on. I mean, he's Joe Cougar, right? He has a deep affection for his alma mater, naturally so. He's old school. And they've, I don't, man. You don't think so? Well, I think there's two things with announcers. They either have it or they pretend to have it because they want to keep employment. Mm-hmm. And they're exposed for those who pretend to have it. It's just but he because went there. that's your job. He went there. Yeah. And he's so not he's looking got to go that. anyplace else. No. He's, he's a lifer. Right. Hence old school. And. Well, I mean, but you can, if you, I'm not going to argue with that, whatever. I mean, you can have somebody today who's a a hardcore cougar and that's who they're going to be the rest of their lives. So if you, whatever on that one, I disagree, but you can have your own opinion on that. I think they're still churning him out. The guy who paints his face and there'll be a new generation in 15, 25, 30 years. The people who go to the games now, if you're in your 60s, are likely to be dead and you'll be replaced by others who are in that same boat. So I, fans are fans. I don't think it's ever changed. And the connection there and Greg clearly is a fan. Doesn't mean he can't do his job to an, a great high level. I'm not, that, that has nothing to do with it. But you know that that's his team, man. That's his program. He really wants them to win. It matters to him. And I think that with Joe, the folks out there, they want him to be a part of the winning. Yes, and if you could get someone to make it better, sure. But there's no guarantees on that. Armin, Joe fits well with the group the Jazz have and contributes accordingly. I understand him getting upset, but after all, this is business, and owners are obligated to do what is good for the team. Marlissa, I believe Joe will help us win. 
There's not one female fan who wants Joe Ingles traded. Not, <laughs> one, not a single one. I believe that will be difficult to find. I will try to find that <laughs> if I can. Any female fans out there on our app, get on it. And if you think that the Jazz should trade Joe Ingles. Whereas if we opened it up and asked for female fans to get on the app, we would have thousands Hundreds of thousands. They want him on this team. Jacqueline, absolutely keep Joe. He's a winner in so many ways. Exactly. Donna, keep Joe. We can (laughs) win with him. No female fan. If I do find one female fan in all these comments, she's going to be from Jersey. And it doesn't count. (laughs) Got to be from here. Okay. Oh, from here, then then I'm just wasting my time. All the women. Oh, oh, oh. Hope Diggs. Bye, Joe. <laughs> there is one. One outlier. No. Nope. All the women who watch the Olympics in this community. <laughs> I got to find out more about Hope and what her deal is. Love Family the warm, photo. fuzzy stories. Got the four kids. Got the golf course. And she's from California. Uh, looks a little Arizona-ish. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't place it for sure. They want Joe. And if you can guarantee a trade that would improve the team to win the title, sure. But it's impossible to do. I think most folks would rather try to win with Joe than risk him leaving. There's never been a player. The statues, they're, they're not connected more than Joe is. It's clear. One guy had zero time for you, couldn't wait to get out. I mean, if he saw fans, he went in the other direction. Joe will walk towards them. True story. Kids play ball. He sat in a car in right field. Seen it with my own eyes. Yep. Another guy, I'll never wear a GS uniform again. Oh, must be the summer. (laughs) And Joe, right on the heels of Hayward doing his world tour, who couldn't get out of town fast enough. Joe had things scheduled. Oh, you're going to offer me this and this? I'm good. (laughs) Come on. He's a dream. David says, got to keep him for his trash-talking ways. But he also does good things and is very crafty. Very crafty. Somebody loves the, sh- the slow show-and-go layup. Crafty's another phrase for slow white guy. <laughs> but I'll be the one to say it. The slow, the slow layup, the show-and-go. Yeah. yeah, you won't say white, but I mean that's what they're saying. White! <laughs> when you're forced to, when it's obvious, that's what crafty means. It's a euphemism for, for saying that. Alex says, this is good. The more fired up Joe Ingles is, the better. Maybe he'll be less stagnant at times now. I can buy that. Yeah. Because he said it harsh. Kind of caught me off guard, actually. Yeah, he was clearly irritated. Clearly. If you view that as negative, that's like the first negative thing he's ever said publicly. I don't necessarily view it as negative. I view it as just real emotion. He wants to stay here. His family's here. His life's here. His kids are all in school here. He's across the world, and he hears about a rumor. Who wouldn't be? 
Who wants to hear your name involved in rumors if you don't want to go anywhere? That's got to be unsettling. I you couldn't imagine. You would not like that. No. What's going on? What's what's their, 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 the truth? And plus, uh, he's on the other side of the world with a time difference. He's got to wake up his agent from bed. Or what's right. what? Or he yeah. or his phone's buzzing and it's yeah. waking him up. And either yeah. way, yeah. And you're and you're trying to concentrate on doing something for your country that's never been done. And you got to hear that. I get it. Tanner says, well, it pisses me off when he disappears every postseason. But keep him. Tanner, you're <laughs> contradicting yourself. If he's going to disappear in the postseason, improve the team. Well, there's... I didn't think he was terrible in the Clippers series. And I know a lot of people do. I hear it over and over. And Tanner thinks he did. But game five, pivotal game five at home. It's 2 2. He had 12 points, six boards, and six assists. I don't view that as a terrible game. No, that's a high-level game. I mean, he's a sub. He's a role player. I mean, you had one of your guys who had zeros. Talk about disappeared. He didn't even suit up. And you want to dump somebody who's going to be there for you? Come on. When they were up 2-0 going to L.A., he had 19 points, four boards, and two assists. Hit five of eight from three. Now, they lost the game, and the series starts to swing, I don't see how much more you want out of Joe. Uh, honestly, I thought he was better in the series they lost than he was in the series they won. Honestly? Well, I need you to be honest, Lee. I don't want you to Thank lie you. to us. Good. <laughs> but you know I do, so I thought I'd better clarify. Okay. <laughs> Earlier, you thought I was lying. Crafty? Come on. They just don't want to use the word white. You I'm know good. that, DJ? You're lying to me. Uh, you weren't lying to me. Well, that was a sin of omission. <laughs> a who of what? The what? Huh? I don't know. <laughs> what my Catholic friends say. I thought I'd speak your language. Jersey guy. Jeez. Yeah, you just keep my religion out of it, buddy. I keep yours out of it. You keep mine out of it, okay? <laughs> you have brought up mass 5,000 times, but okay, I will. I brought up what? Mass. What are you talking about? If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. I don't care. That's what are you what talking I, about? It's not what I said, and you know it. But nice job. We got to go politics. You want to go politics now? No, mask. We're going religion. <laughs> Yox biting his lip in there. Like, this is going to end poorly. We're going to be. What do I want to talk about masks for? I didn't think Joe was the reason. The Jazz lost that. You spoke series. from your heart. You were there honest. It there it is. Of course he wasn't. Well, I don't think anybody is the reason. There's no single reason. No. Multiple on guys. On one player. Multiple guys got beat on the perimeter. Uh, you, you can add him to that list. That was that was a team-wide issue as they gave up 80 points in the I am 100% on board as you win it as a team. It's cliche and contrite, but I believe it. Or trite. Uh, win as a team, team loses it. Yes. Especially in this game. In this sport, it is a team sport as much as we herald the stars. Yeah. And as much as the stars have to deliver, it's still a team game. Everybody has their role. The stars have a bigger role, obviously. Yeah. And they get a ton of credit. Deservedly so. But at the same time, you, know, you need other guys to do their thing. And so, Joe didn't... I don't think Joe won or, or lost. What did they win? Uh, six games in the postseason? 
I mean, he's not responsible for any of that, winning or losing. He's partly responsible, but not solely responsible. Nobody is. The connection is so deep that everybody wants him around. Never been a player in my 28 years in this community that has made a connection like Joey I. Connection this deep and maintained it for this long. Never. No one. Because he's already been here longer than Hornacek. And that's the next best example for a beloved guy, Jeff Hornacek. If they announced Jeff Hornacek was signing autographs before the game, and obviously he's working in the NBA's on the Rockets bench last season, but my gosh, how long would that line be? Even to this day. Oh, yeah. The loyalty to Jeff is huge. Yeah. And there's been others. I mean, you've got to put big dog Antoine Carr on that list. Very popular. Yeah. It's for a shorter span of time. And if he would have been asked uh, to do a radio show, maybe he would have done it every week, religiously, as as Joe has done. It's not a bad uh, shout-out right there. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that anybody asked him, but uh, he probably would have done it. He He loved give and take. Very personable guy. Loved to... Sitting by the locker yeah. with the glasses on because yeah. he had an eye injury and that direct light always bugged his eye. Yeah. But yeah, he would sit there and wait. If you wanted to talk to him, just go over there. He right. wasn't, He wasn't hiding out in the training room. No. Very if you didn't want to very, talk to him, well, then he just sat there and whatever. Very friendly dude. Very open. Very warm. Mehmet Okur. Okur. Just a heart of gold. Yeah, been around him. Before our time, but Adrian Danley has a lot of loyal fans in this town. And I know there was, you know, conflict at the time, and we all heard about that. We got here long after he was gone. Yeah, I don't know anything. But but a ton of loyalty to AD among the fan base that's old enough to remember him. I mean, I remember him as a player, but I was not living in here, never even contemplated in my life that I would live here at that time. Uh, so there's something to be said. Unless you can get a slam dunker, just a, just a no 100% brainer trade. And he's only got this next year, so actually you, you can let him go. I don't, I don't think people would be that upset if he wasn't re-signed, especially if he showed slippage this season, this upcoming season. Because this is his last year, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. $14 million for this year. That's a little bit of the Conley situation. You're way over. If you let him walk, do you just lose that money? And how do you replace him? So they didn't trade him now, but could it happen later? I think he even made it. I have to go back and listen. But I think he even made a joke about that. I mean, he referenced this like a year ago with us. You bring I mean, that up a lot. He knows. Everybody knows. How is he any different than anybody else? Who doesn't So know? was it just the timing then that irritated him the most? Or the fact it really came to this? I guess it's a shock when it happens, no matter what. Even if you know. 
Well, I think the fact that you're in uh, up to your eyeballs trying to win a medal for your country and all that stuff, and yeah. we know how important that is to him. He's voiced that. Let's think about Joe. He's, he's authentic that way. He'll tell you. And so it meant something to him, and then people are bugging him, and he's in Tokyo. He's not at home. He's out of his comfort zone, and you know who knows what the protocols were there as far as uh, was he just basically going to the gym and sitting in a little room and so uh, probably the, the probably a sense of timing and that's when the timing is obviously these things heat up uh, a week after the season and then you know they start the free agency and then a week after that those things can be announced and the way the timing was this year uh, because of all the shifting of schedules and all it came right when he's in the middle but also, too, you know, you would think that, and I've never been involved in this, and, you know, I never will, that I'll probably let be let go at some point, and that will hurt. Uh, but you can't say, well, somebody else wants you. Okay, but is that is that what you're thinking at the time? I think for most people, the answer is probably no. For a few, maybe they can tell themselves that. Yeah, you view it as being let go, and we all know in the last couple of years, people who've been let go, and it stings, man. It hurts really bad. Fortunately for us, we haven't been let go, but we know others here and many others around whatever business it might be in our community or in our extended family and other communities, and uh, we feel for these people, uh, the newspaper business guys, a guy like Dirk Facer, who'd been there, was an institution, and given everything he had to the Deseret News, and then one day they bring him in and it's done. It's like it's a crushing, crushing blow. You feel so bad for those people, and every single one of us here and people who are listening can relate to that. Either personally or you know of someone in your family or close friend or whoever it might be a ward member whatever it might be a neighbor and it just hurts man so i can imagine that's all i can do i can't put myself into those shoes at all he's thinking wow these guys don't want me anymore and i've given everything i have and i'm saying generally i'm not talking about joe specifically because he's not let go he's still here so he's his case doesn't apply He's still here, no, an integral totally, part of the team. But I don't think it's totally off base. I think he felt some of those things when he heard the rumors. To a degree. Right. But he yeah. didn't have the finality but, of it. Right, happening. but the, the reality of it is right. he's here, and he's not going anywhere. And Ryan Smith tweeted out or retweeted, somebody said about, uh, what was it, uh, rotation guys or something, and I, I go. you can go look at it. And you, you guys spend all the time on Twitter, and he said something about, well, what about Joe Ingles? You know, like you're forgetting about Joe. So clearly they understand his value uh, that he brings. But maybe even having your name mentioned, particularly when you're a married man within the community. Uh, and it's just not that hard. I mean, it is just not that easy, I should say, to just pick up and move. Because there's so much more involved. It's not, it's not even close to about you. It's about all this other stuff. So, a remarkable connection that he's made, and it's twofold. It's on his ability to get better, because he had to work himself into a player, and he did. That's what's awesome about it. You know, the rags-to-riches story. 
of not making it and then barely making it and then actually being an integral part of a team that has the best record in the league, no less. And you saw him get better, plus his willingness to be open and tell you about his community and the stuff he's done with the autism when his son got diagnosed. He couldn't have been more open about it. And just the the connection is just unreal. The only way I trade him, and it's not me to make the decision by any stretch, if if I just absolutely know I've got to make this move. If they, if they if it comes to that, then I'm all for it. I have read, and I guess we'd have to talk to more athletes who are traded to get a broader perspective. But I have read of people who say, "Well, tell me who I'm traded for," and that comes down to your slam dunk thing. When they find out there's a star's name on the other end, hey, to get that, who wouldn't to trade to get that person? And it establishes more value for the player who's being traded. When they find out they were traded for somebody who's, you know. So Barkley is, was traded for Hornacek. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So if you're one of the Suns guys, you're like, well, yeah, they wanted Barkley. Not only Jeff was happy about it. Well, I know he I think, wasn't. Right. But it makes it easier to understand. And they traded, Suns traded Dan Marley, and he was crushed. And they traded him for Hot Rod John Williams or something. And just, just an awful trade. That would be crushing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be harder to be traded for that for him than for Barkley? Yeah, that's a no-brainer. You're going to get Barkley in the prime of his career, and he goes on and leads you to the finals and has an MVP season, probably his best season he had in an, in an illustrious Hall of Fame career. Yeah, I suppose you could accept that as, as much as it was a personal blow. I get it. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up, we're talking with Matt George, host of the Locked On Kings podcast about Hassan Whiteside, the transition from Sacramento to Utah. Are his numbers going to look like last year, or is he going to have a bounce back year and look more like the numbers from two or three years ago? We'll talk with him coming up in 20 minutes. Got another question. Got a uh, kind of a one-of-a-kind event coming up. We will get to that and see if you think that's a good idea. We'll do that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Let's talk some Utah football. Joining us, Van Fillinger. Obviously a weird year last year. You play five games and you participated in all those five games for Utah. For that being your freshman year, you're probably finding out what the real experience of being a college football player is like this year. Yeah, it was really weird last year, honestly. And the thing is, is like it's not completely back to normal yet. We still wear masks in the facility, so it's definitely better than it was last year. But it was real weird last year. I mean, no fans or anything at the games. and. You know, I'm a big, uh, like, I feed off the energy that the fans bring and stuff, so I'm real excited to get after it this year and have a full stadium. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the Top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the Top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness right here on the Zone Sports Network. Major League Baseball has a game between the Yankees and the White Sox on the Field of Dreams site. How cool is it? Play a game at the side of the greatest sports movie of all time. Absolutely awesome. And make no mistake, this is the greatest sports movie. There is not a better movie. This is the top 10 movie of all time. Anybody who disagrees, you just need to get a clue. And I'm here to give you a clue. I'm only going to charge a nickel. 
for that clue if you need to purchase one. But this is so obvious. Jim says, cool place, but not the same field. They built the new field in the South. I was there a year ago. The employees at Field of Dreams said security was tight, and they knew what was going on, but they couldn't tell. Guess why I said sight. It's out there beyond the corn and left field. It's close enough. It is. I mean, that's like saying, you know, Yankee Stadium. It's not really Yankee Stadium anymore because they moved it. They did. Yeah. It's not. Babe didn't stand on that patch of grass in right field. <laughs> Steve will argue with you. Steve says, wait, you said a game on the Field of Dream site, and then you said the greatest sports movie of all time, so I'm confused. Are they going to play the game on the Sandlot or not? No. Bob, wrong. The Sandlot is the greatest sports movie no, of all not. time. No, it is not. It is Man, not. The Sandlot. Does the Sandlot move you emotionally <laughs> the way Field of Dreams moved you emotionally? No. No, no, no. It's not even close. And it's not even, even close. close. Get out of town right now. I will pick you up and export you. Katie, bar the door. I say open the door and get the crap out. And stay out. Going to a new site, doing something different, trying to do something special. Add a little juice to a long regular season. NHL's done it with their stadium series, those New Year's Day winter classic things they play. Try to do something different. This is a once in a lifetime experience. Well, what if they do it again next year? For the people who are there. And it's the first time. I mean, the second time when you hear when you hear Dream Team, who do you think of? The 2021 Olympic team? No. (laughs) Wake up. You can only have a once, once. Matt says, I've never been there, but I enjoyed the movie. It's going to be an amazing experience, an exciting game to watch. Very cool. Jason says, I served a mission in Iowa, and I visited Field of Dreams twice. It's a cool place. Of course it is. It's hollowed sacred ground. That might be a little over the top. Hallowed Yeah, because you, you haven't ground. been in that situation. So I get you wouldn't understand it. <laughs> okay. I, I could bring up examples, but they'd be too personal to relate to. He's driving in there and he's a dr- with uh, James Earl Jones, and he's mm-hmm. talking about how he made it back for the funeral because they had a the father's son had a spat, and they were separated. There's all sorts of stuff that ring true to so many people. And they didn't talk for a number of years, and he missed out. And he got it back for the funeral. And so when you're growing up, you look at it from the son perspective, but then you get older and you look at it from from the the father father perspective. perspective. And Sandlot didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Bunch of guys going, oh, well, what about the first kiss on the deck? Back off, guys. Yeah. And worried about balls going over. And interestingly, James Earl Jones was in both. The big dog. Kevin says, I think this is one of the coolest ideas in sports history. I agree. What are the other coolest ideas in sports history? Nothing compares. I'll let you figure that out. 
Robert says, I think it's uh, all right. I hope they play a good game and not just a home run derby. Ah, the game's the game. How about playing a game at uh, the? They played them at Williamsport. Yeah, they played a major league game there. They've done that a little bit. Trying to capture a little of the magic. I've been to Williamsport, played on that field with the little leaguers around, and that's this time of year here. As we watch the parents cheer, my son's going to make it. No, he's not. (laughs) (laughs) So the field was too small, so they had to set it up. And Dwyer Brown is the guy who played the dad. And they brought him back, and they brought uh, Costner back. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's really spectacular. I was really getting teared up. What sports movie? Makes you tear up? If not sob. And then at the end, after all the credits, it says, for our parents. Come on. If your dad is gone and you played catch with him and now he's not around, it rings even deeper. 30 years after the movie was released, it goes even deeper. Troy says it seems like a desperate move to get more viewers. Troy's an idiot. (laughs) Troy, you are very cynical desperate move it's a genius move to capture the essence and the beauty of the sport fritz goes the other way he says i love the movie but i think playing a game there is dumb i think you're dumb (laughs) (laughs) nah 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 wake up people this is a brilliant idea connecting generations and you people of all people you love the connection with the dead to the living that's what we had in field of dreams it's basically like doing family history this is right up your power alley see what i did there look at you mixing metaphors (laughs) (laughs) but i i don't want to point it out if you don't let people savor it but Power Alley. It's pretty obvious. I, mean, I didn't dead. think people need that joke explained to them. It wasn't a joke. I get it. So it didn't need to be explained. But it's not a joke. Okay, not a joke. But you know what I'm getting at. It is a connection from beyond to now. You guys got a whole thing over here doing this stuff. Well, not just there. There's and that's what you build these big edifices on for, I'm checking, right? I'm checking ticket prices right now. Come on. One pair. $4,000. One pair, $7,000. A four-pack, $18,000. I bought a four-pack. I'm leaving right after the show. You use DJ's credit card, right? <laughs> and, and he has access to the Huntsman Jet. He's been yeah. on it. I haven't. <laughs> That's a good point. I'll have to play your cards right. <laughs> One day. Well, yeah. Another word. Uh, play your cards right. Another phrase for sucking up, which I'm not very good at. <laughs> oh, you're better than you think. This you is say just you're not. a genius idea. Whoever thought of this, give them a raise. DJ PK, hit us up on uh, Twitter. Use your phone, use our app, use the open mic feature. What do you think of baseball at the Field of Dreams? Name me a, a better sports movie scene than Dad. You want to have a catch? Name me a better sports movie scene. There is never one that has been filmed and created ever, 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 ever. 
No. Just Rocky. On the beach. Rocky. There's the Rocky montage. <laughs> Which Rocky? Rocky 42 There's multiple. or 107? I don't know. Rocky on the beach. Was that Rocky 3 or 4? I don't know. On the beach, was. I believe it was 4. Who knows? And if you no, know, on the beach is 3. If you know it, you're a nerd. The Russian montage is 4. <laughs> <laughs> the Russian montage. That was like a cartoon, dude. You can't even say that was a straight face. Okay, come on. What about Rudy? What about Rudy? Being carried off the field. Yeah, people definitely tear up at that. I well, no, yeah, not, not to your father. PK, one of my best friends in the entire world watches that movie and tears up every time. <laughs> really, every yeah. time. Because he's soft. <laughs> he's a, he is a little soft. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Rudy, but it doesn't compare to this. How many sports movies have won an Oscar? Give it to the original. Oh, F the, the original Rocky. Who cares about Oscars? Hollywood people honoring themselves. That's fresh. What about that time when Burt Reynolds threw that football? That's Uncle Rico. What are you talking about? Over them there, that mountain? No, I hit the linebacker right in the boys. Brought him down. The prison guard. Oh, longest yard. Mm-hmm. Dumb. I like the Adam Sandler remake. When we come back, Mad George, Hassan Whiteside, how much has he got left in the tank? How good can he be for the Jazz? What happened in Sacramento a year ago? We'll get answers to those questions next. Stay with us. DJ PK, time now to talk about Hassan Whiteside and Nimish Keda. Matt George, host of the Locked on Kings podcast, covering the Sacramento Kings, joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the new solution. For any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation, find out more at smartrain.net. Matt, good morning. DJ PK, what's up? Greetings from uh, Sacramento where it's way too hot and there's still nothing to do. Long time ago, Matt, I used to work in Sacramento. KOVR. And, uh, KOVR and you got out, huh? I and did. You got out. I was assisted in my departure, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it worked out. So uh, we're curious here, Hassan Whiteside coming to the Jazz and a quick look at his stats and what happened. Uh, he'd been a starter most of his career. He barely started and he only played 36 games. His playing time was cut in half. A lot of the stats fell because of the playing time, but stuff like his shooting percentage was down several points. What what was going on? Hassan Whiteside's the purpose of Hassan Whiteside in Sacramento was never remotely clear to begin with. I remember when we heard rumors last offseason that the Kings were potentially targeting him and everybody was just kind of looking around wondering why. Uh, and then uh, thankfully when, when the Kings did sign him, it was only for a, a minimum deal. So it wasn't for the money that initially we, we thought that Hassan Whiteside was going to command on the market. But it was a mixture of a lot of things. It was a mixture of Rashawn Holmes continuing to play very, very well at that starting center spot. Uh, Hassan did have a, a bout with COVID or at least health and safety protocols uh, from what we know that, that held him out for a while that kind of disrupted uh, disrupted his rhythm a little bit. And then the Sacramento Kings, at least offensively, are a team when you have De'Aaron Fox on your roster, you want to play fast. You want to play up-tempo. And that is not the game of Hassan Whiteside. It might have been back in the day. Uh, it's not anymore. The man moves like he's stuck in molasses, whether he's on the perimeter or, or in the paint. Now, he did do 
what the Kings asked him to do in limited uh, stretches well, which is block shots and just be a presence on the interior, but not enough for him to command as much playing time as maybe we all expected. So do you think it's a significant pickup, decent pickup, or waste of time pickup for the Jazz? I, I I have a hard time believing that anything Hassan Whiteside does for the rest of his career at this point is going to be significant. Um, I, I think it can be a decent pickup in the sense that when when um, Rudy Gobert goes out of the game, you're not having a significant or the, uh, like, like a massive defensive drop off uh, when he's coming in to back things up. He does very very well at at, at, at protecting the rim and being that presence in the paint. But if he's going to match up against a, a modern NBA big who is capable of spacing the floor. You'll notice very quickly, Hassan won't step further beyond the top of the key. He just doesn't go out there. So you, you can't play him against a, a Denver Nuggets with Nikola Jokic. Uh, you, can't, you just can't play him uh, guarding a modern NBA big. You couldn't play him against the Bucks with Brooke Lopez because uh, they'll, just, they'll just space the floor on him and pull him out of the paint where he's at his most effective. So it's not entirely clear how Quinn Snyder is going to play the Jazz non-Gobert minutes. And Gobert's probably good for 35 minutes, so that leaves 13 minutes a game. And they might, you know, there's been talk about you you put several forwards out there, Rudy Gay gets his time, and and you play without the traditional center, in which case Whiteside's role gets tiny to non-existent. Uh, But when he is in the game backing up Gobert, when Gobert sits down, isn't the opposing team just going to put him in a pick and roll every time? Yeah, I imagine uh, that's that's going to be the the approach. That's certainly the approach most teams had uh, when when he was in the game for Sacramento. Uh, in the event that that they do try and attack the basket, work their way into the paint, Hassan's white uh, his his presence down there is still very significant. I mean, he can he can block shots easily. He changes shots. He disrupts shots. So in a lot of ways, the Kings who have lacked that shot blocking, uh, or they lacked it a lot going into last season, it was a breath of fresh air having Hassan's presence there alone. The problem is, in the modern NBA, like you mentioned, it's really easy to, to, to handle that. It's really easy to pull a big man away from the basket now with just basic spacing. And, and yeah, uh, pick and rolls, all you have to do is get him to switch on a smaller guard. Uh, and like I said, he's either going to give you all the space in the world to shoot, or if he does step out on you, you're going right by him with a quick jab step. So it's not too easy to break down and defeat Hassan, which is why I question just his overall ability to be effective in large stretches uh, in the in the NBA for the remainder of his career. Well, I guess the argument would be he's not going to play large stretches and he's going to play against second-team guys. And if there's a bunch of big men who can step out on pick-and-rolls and all, they'd be starters anyway. So the guys he's going up against should be okay. I mean, that's one argument. I, I and I understand that completely. If if the Jazz and Quinn Snyder can find a way to effectively use Whiteside in his in where he's comfortable, keep him in the paint, keep him doing what he does best. I think he can be an asset uh, for the Utah Jazz. And and like you said, in those limited minutes, in those small stretches, one to two to three minutes, while Rudy Gobert gets some rest, the rim protection doesn't drop off at all. If if anything, it might. Well, I'm not going to go as far as to say it goes up a little bit because Gobert is. Rudy Colbert, but it, you're not losing a lot in terms of rim protection and rebounding as well. I mean, he, he can secure the glass just with his size alone. Um, it's just, honestly, it's the mobility that's the biggest question mark and forever will be for me. 
Jazz fans are uh, are craving a championship. When you handicap the West, looking at all the moves, Sacramento's got a lot of building to do, so you don't really have a dog in the hunt right now. What do you think? I like the Utah Jazz a lot. It was very, very easy for me to root for the Utah Jazz. I'm also a huge Donovan Mitchell fan, and I'm still regretting. I regret a lot of Sacramento Kings drafts, but uh, regretting not taking Mitchell at 10 uh, when you had both 5 and 10 in the De'Aaron Fox draft. Is still painful to me, that being said, Tyrese Halliburton being here, Davion Mitchell. I like what the Kings are doing, but when you make the, miss the playoffs for 15 straight years, it's hard to have too much optimism that, oh, this will be the year. We've been saying that for over a decade. Uh, but in terms of the Utah Jazz, uh, I, I like the way they're built. I'm very pleased, at least from my perspective, that uh, the – Rumored issues, which might have been a bigger thing. You can tell me this more than I can tell you outside of, of Utah than inside the, the issues or disconnect between Davion Mitchell, or rather Donovan Mitchell, excuse me, uh, and Rudy Gobert. I'm, I'm glad those issues seem to work themselves out. Big fan of uh, Quinn Snyder as well. I like what the Utah Jazz are doing, uh, and I was rooting for them to make a big run. Now, it was fun for the Phoenix Suns to be the Cinderella story that they were, but Utah was the best team in the West for a reason. Uh, I expect them to be right back there, and I always enjoy every time we get to see them and, and come to Sacramento because I always put up a good show for Kings fans who haven't seen winning in quite some time. How about Whiteside's ability? We know he can block shots, but his ability to go up, try to block a shot, maybe he alters the shot so it's not blocked, but then about his ability to able to get himself in the position to rebound. Yeah. To be honest with you, I'm trying to come up with a, like a memory in my mind of, of a play where that happened. Altering shots for sure. Uh, it's Honestly, he does it more than he actually blocks shots, and altering yeah. shots around the rim can be just as effective, if, if not even more effective, as long as you're staying out of foul trouble. If, if, the, if the ball is anywhere remotely in his vicinity coming off of a rim, he's probably going to get it just with his length alone and his physical presence. I didn't realize like how girthy Hassan Whiteside was when until I saw him in person coming back to Sacramento. He certainly put it on weight so he's not an easy guy to push around. So if he gets position, more than likely he's securing the rebound. The problem is if the, if the ball comes off the rim um, in any which direction and it's a long rebound, more than likely he's, he's not getting to it um, just because of his speed. And I think what will frustrate um, some Utah Jazz fans is there will be a rebound, a 50-50 ball that he probably could get that he just won't give the maximum effort to secure. There are going to be a handful of those that could result in second-chance opportunities and second-chance points uh, for Utah's opponent that will probably drive Quinn Snyder, the two of you, and everybody else uh, just crazy. We have agreed the use of the word girthy during this interview makes this a smashing success. Good work, Matt. (laughs) No no problem, guys. Thank you so much for having me, and cheers from Sacramento, and uh, Hopefully the, the Kings could be, can be number two in the West and the Jazz can be number one, but hey, we'll dream. Hey, uh, before we let you go, uh, Keita was a star at Utah State. Where does he fit in with the Kings? You know, it's it's funny. I had um, Rafael Barlow, who's one of our draft experts on my Locked on Kings podcast recently, and Rafael said on draft night that he thought that Keita could – be the Kings starting center. Now, this was before they had re-signed and re-secured Rashawn Holmes and then gone out, gotten Alex Len, Tristan Thompson, and suddenly the Kings go from no backcourt or frontcourt depth to a crap ton of frontcourt depth. Um, 
But we still had a conversation on my podcast a couple days ago, and we believe Kata is is a, a, a good asset to potentially crack the Kings rotation. And what's crazy is I asked Kings general manager Monty McNair about Kata and him falling to 39, and he said he couldn't believe how under the radar a natural seven-footer who was an analytical darling like Kata averaged double-double and scoring a very efficient score also like 3.3 blocks, uh, almost two steals a game. He didn't understand how a player like that could slide so far. Maybe it's it's because he's a natural seven-footer in the modern NBA, maybe because he's a little bit older. Uh, who knows? But I absolutely love him. I love what I've seen uh, in, in summer league so far. Certainly has some rust to work on, but the footwork is already significantly better than some of the bigs the Kings have pit- taken in recent history. And on top of that, for a natural seven-footer, thing, the opposite of Hassan Whiteside, his mobility on the perimeter has been a lot better than what I expected. Uh, so I'm excited. He has a two-way contract. He'll get good opportunity, plenty of playing time uh, with the G League Stockton Kings. But I expect him to get minutes and, and provide a lot of what the Kings have been lacking that maybe they were hoping Hassan Whiteside could provide last season. Matt, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Good luck with the podcast. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure, guys. Happy to do it again. Matt George, host of the Locked On Kings. All right, so we take away from that with Whiteside. He doesn't move as well as he used to. But can he be helpful in some matchups? Uh, what I took away from that is he thinks Whiteside's a stiff. Yeah, he's done. He's slow, he's old, and blah, blah, blah. Now, you have to look at it. Uh, all right, there's been some deterioration, which is natural. But listening to Hassan speak, there was a sense of excitement because he's coming to a team that has a shot to win it all, and he didn't have that. And so is there some form of rejuvenation, some form of increased uh, intensity and desire and all those things? I can't answer that question. I can pose it, but I can't answer it with any degree of certainty one way or the other. We will see it. That's the great thing about it is that you have to – to succeed, you have to try. And once you go out and you do something that is considered, not that this is really bold, but it's a move. And sometimes moves don't work. Sometimes they do work. You know, not all moves that they make are great moves. We've seen that with Ed Davis and Jeff Green. Uh, but, you know, on the other hand, we've seen it with Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neill and so forth. So. We'll find out in time, and we'll know. Quinn Snyder will tell us, even if he doesn't say a word. Plain time yeah. speaks very loudly. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we'll be able to literally see what they think well, of him. somebody will put him in a pick and roll, and then we'll find out he can move or he can't. And we'll see. That, I mean, to your point, can he challenge a shot and go up and get a rebound? Right. That's back what I want to see. Back in the day, he could. And apparently, it's going to take some rejuvenation for that to happen again. Apparently, and that was, it's not going to be there. That's right. what I'm saying. Yeah. Because if you listen to him talk, uh, listening to it, what was it, last week when he came on, or was it Monday? It was early this yeah, week. Yeah, I think it was yeah. Monday. Uh, and when he was talking about it, what he, the thing that, the number one thing I took from him is his excitement to be on a winning team. Not a team that's one game over 500, but a team that is pushing to win it all. And that's what they're talking about. Justin Zanuck has spoken about that, that they believe that they're in contention, and we all believe it too. So what is there? What is left for him? And how can they get it out of him and put him in the position to succeed? And the number one thing I took from him speaking was his excitement to be having this opportunity. In Sacramento, 
for whatever reasons, and there's been plenty of them, mm. they've sucked for so long. 15 years without going to the playoffs. It's just amazing. In a yeah. league that doesn't require that much to get there with the system that's set up and the few numbers, just the sheer numbers involved, not like the other sports that have double and triple the rosters and more than that in football. And you know you can see how it might be difficult. And here they should reward you by just because you sucked and you got a pick. And, but they can't do it. 15 years is just startling. So he's out of that situation. So where does he go? What does he have? What level of ability can be able to be taken out of that excitement? You just can't be excited. You still have to produce. So you're not asking for much either. And I'm not as worried about this, this pick and roll stuff because how many big men on the second team are going to be He's proficient. Yeah. yeah. It's not like he's going to go up against Jokic that much. We already get it. I already knew. I'm not going to have him play and expect a lot of success against Jokic. First of all, hardly anybody has success against Jokic. And secondly, he's a reserve. So the question is about how well he's moving and all that. You know, his rebounds are down, but the rebounds per minute have only slipped a little bit, not drastically. Well, he when six see... boards and he played 15 minutes. Right. That's those are the things you need him to do. A rebound every two and a half minutes, that's it's usually a pretty good number. And if he can't do it, you got Azubuke. What can he do? Or you play the or you're playing the smaller lineup, which they may want to go to anyway. Oh, they will. Yeah. So circumstances will dictate that they will. But but the the small lineup can't provide the rim protection. So if you're looking for the rim protection to the level you have a couple of options. Let's see who's the better of the two. Because it's not like he's guaranteed 15 minutes a game. No, he's not. No, he's going to have to earn those 15 minutes, 13 to 15, now, whatever Rudy's it might be. Rudy's playing time was down to 31 minutes a game last year. So I said 35. Well, whatever might it be might be. a little be. optimistic. Yeah, whatever it might be. Uh, so, And that's a good thing, too. You're coming in here, and you're guaranteed to get your money all right, you're going to get your money either way, and you've been in the league a number of years, so you should have a fair amount of money stored up. Uh, it's about playing time, too. And what are you going to do? Well, I got this young kid over here. You know, he blocked six shots in the summer league. It's summer league, but still, you showed some ability there. I mean, you're just you're not asking for a whole lot out of that particular backup position. And can he do? Where other guys, you're asking for a lot. I mean, I think you ask a lot of Joe Ingles. He's what we identify as a backup. Well, Clarkson and Ingles come off the yeah. bench, but you look at the minutes they play, yeah. it's a much bigger role. Yeah, you need those guys to contribute for your team to be to the maximum level that you want them to be. And so they've got to do their thing. And Rudy Gay, I suspect, is going to have to do his thing that they're bringing him in for. Here, you're just not asking that much. So... I get it. If I had watched a whole season of him in Sacramento, first of all, if I had to watch Sacramento basketball for 82 games, I'd probably gouge my eyes out too. So just on that. And, and it's like it's, 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 it's on the same cycle. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's know? like if it, were, yeah. if it were a three-year rebuild, you just yeah. put up the three years of bad basketball knowing, okay, now you get to run a five or six or yeah. eight years or whatever. When is this thing going to emerge? When You drafted Marvin Bagley and Luka Doncic is available. Oops. 
No, that's not just an oops. <laughs> well, bleep and oops. <laughs> yeah. Or just bleep bleep. Yeah. I mean, come on. You know what I mean there? He's a franchise changer, and he was right there for you to have. And you whiffed. And you said, no, thank you. Sheesh. <laughs> oh, and the kid took no time to develop. He was instant stardom right from the literally right from the start. He's already made All NBA twice. <laughs> Twenty two years old. Yeah, All NBA first team. All right, and that's just off the top of our heads. I'm sure if we went back, I know they took and a lot of teams uh, passed on Kawhi Leonard. So it's not like you can crack on Sacramento, but you took Jimmer and Kawhi Leonard was there. Bleep bleep. Uh, Clay Thompson was there. Did they pass on Steph Curry, or did they draft later that year? I think Jimmer was 10th. Steph went like 6th. Yeah, he went, yeah, he went before Because I think Minnesota, another team that sucked, Whiffed had twice. four and the fourth and fifth picks. Oh, Johnny Flynn. Johnny Flynn. Johnny Flynn. Come on. And, and, they, and, they, and did they take Flynn before Rubio or Rubio before Flynn? I believe it was Flynn then Rubio. Yeah. And so he had back to back picks. So, so. Johnny Flynn was taking like fourth. Yeah. And nobody knew Steph Curry was going to be all this to this level. I understand that. But Coming still, the Warriors took him at six, so it's not like he was a sleeper. I mean, six picks, pretty yeah. high. They saw something. Yeah. And so they take him sixth. Uh, and you know, that that's the foundation. Of 15 years of missing the playoffs. Yeah, unless hmm. you're the Lakers or somebody, and I don't know that there's really teams beyond the Lakers, uh, if you repeatedly miss – on draft picks. And you don't even... The thing about it is, you don't even have to hit on a bunch of them. You just have to hit on some of them. The Suns sucked with drafting, but yet they hit on some. Right? Aiden was... De- he's decent enough. He's not Doncic, but he's decent enough. Booker's home run. The, the Kings took Bismack Biombo with the seventh pick when Kemba Walker was available, went at nine. Clay Thompson was available, went at 11. And Kawhi Leonard was available and went at 15. Yeah. There were three guys who could have helped him. Uh, Walker to an extent. But I agree, to different levels. Yeah. Totally. But Kemba Walker over Biombo all day long. Yeah, but it's really cool to say Biombo. Jimmy Butler was also available. Bismack Biombo. I mean, on. just Biombo. Biombo is a cool name to say. Now, I have no idea where he is right now. <laughs> is he with Charlotte? I think he's still yes, Charlotte. Charlotte. <laughs> yeah. Charlotte. Okay, so I guess I do. Good job. Uh, Nailed it. But, yeah, come on. All right, DJ and PK coming up. We've got Greg Rubel, play-by-play voice of the Cougars, 9 o'clock, a preseason visit with him to see where things are and where things are headed. That is 30 minutes away. And next, oh, gas on the fire of the robbery. Have you got that, Yak? Oh, my goodness, by the top dog himself, Benedict Arnold. (laughs) Ah, wow. Revolutionary War. <laughs> Metaphors and similes. Holy War, Revolutionary War. That's next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. Ah.
This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Time to chat with Max Tooley. Give us a story or two about your mission. Something that was unique about my mission was I was assigned to speak Mandarin on my mission. Wow. So, yeah, it was quite the, you know, the tall order. Got to serve in different areas where, uh, you know, where specific, you know, Chinese students would be. I loved my mission. That Mandarin's going to serve you well down the line for sure. There's <laughs> yeah. no doubt about that. We appreciate your time and thanks for joining us. Hey, uh, uh, Max, why me? Hawaii, huh? Yeah. All right, man. I'll see you later. I know a little Mandarin. Look at you. You okay. just Googled that. No, I did not. I know Waini means I love you. Because... You just told Max truly I love you? Yeah, well, yeah, now that I think about it, I did. That's a little awkward. He said it back, though. Oh, this is uncomfortable. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Join the Big Show Friday at the warehouse from 2 to 7. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! The rivalry, PK. It has gotten lopsided. Nine in a row. The results of the rivalry have gotten As lopsided. As you'd fans like to say, 10 is coming. We will find out on September 11th in Provo. A perfect 10. You heard something and it caught your ear because when this guy speaks, people listen. He does not speak about the rivalry often. He does whatever he can not to use the letters B, Y, and U in that order. He's a BA. He is a BA. And what I mean by that, Benedict Arnold. Nicely done. And then immediately laughs at his own joke. That's well played. All right. Something Set it funny. Up. You laugh. What the Set heck? It. Set it up. Explain to people what you saw, what you heard, and then we'll play it for him. Well, uh, he was giving an interview. I'm talking about Kyle Whittingham giving an interview, and he was asked uh, to name three things uh, that he that are nice uh, about the his the rivalry, Utah's rivalry. And hear what he says. Can you tell us three nice things about your rival? Uh, who's our rival? We got rivals in conference. We got rivals out of the conference. Uh, you you know doggone well. I'm talking about BYU. Oh, that uh, the in-state game. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> he said uh, the in-state game. Well, it's it, the dynamic has changed so much. Really? Yeah, because uh, you know they're no longer in the same conference. We were in the same conference for ever. You right. Know, 60, 70, 80 years. I can't remember what it was, but but uh, so it's changed, and and we've started to develop a, a little bit of a rivalry with uh, USC, Colorado, mm-hmm. Arizona State. I mean, there's just. Some things that are starting to uh, materialize inside the Pac-12, and so uh, that's why I asked that question. But I get you, Coach. But uh, yeah, let's skip to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know how to address it. I don't know which way to go with it. I do not want to talk about this. Pass. <laughs> you know, doggone well, I'm talking about BYU. All right, let's give Kyle Whittingham three nice things he could have said if he'd been prepared. Yes, that was RJ Young from Fox Sports. RJ Young from Fox Sports. Thank you for a topic, RJ Young from Fox Sports. You're the man. I like how RJ comes right at him. You know, doggone well, well I'm talking, talking about. You know, doggone well. RJ's right. About. He does he did, know. He did know. He didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> really don't want to talk about that. Three nice things Kyle could have said. Grab your phone, use the app, use the open mic. They could be serious, they could be sarcastic. I know you'll just do whatever you want, so go ahead and do whatever you want. Grab your phone, use the open mic, send them to him, Yaka, play him. What are three nice things that Kyle Woodingham could have said about BYU? One, 
Lavelle Edwards had a big impact in my career. I'll always be grateful I played for Lavelle. He's a legend. Now. And they should he didn't say now. He said name three nice things about BYU. That's about BYU. I'm well, glad they, they have nice the, mountains. I am glad they named the stadium <laughs> after him. He had a huge impact on my career. That's one. He could have said that. Oh. He doesn't want to talk about now. This is how he could have dodged it's, it. No. No, no, no. That that didn't even enter his mind. It's about now. Say three nice things about your rival. That's all in the present tense. I like Kalani. I worked with him for a long time. I can agree with that. They have nice mountains. <laughs> <laughs> I like the creamery. I mean, this is... Three nice things. He couldn't even come up with three nice things, wanted the subject changed, and wanted to go to, who did he go? SC and ASU, did he name somebody else? Colorado. 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 Rocky Mountain Rumble. Colorado's no more a rival than the University of Virginia. I would consider Virginia more of a rival because they got Bronco and and the entire clan of the Whittinghams still hates Bronco. So they would be more of a rival than Colorado. <laughs> Come on, give them one nice thing. You can talk. You can talk your way out of anything. You talk your way out of this. I came up with Kalani and Lavelle. That's two. You just need to come up with one. You're right. He can't go with three old things, but he could mix in one older thing with two newer things. You know, it's interesting because he does like people there. He likes Kalani and he likes Tom Holm. Right. He could have said that. I know. Tom's a teammate of mine. He's their AD now. He calls him Tommy. Tommy's a good guy. They were close. Okay. So there it is. He likes Tommy. He likes Kalani. And he really appreciates what Lavelle did, and he's glad he played for him. Glad they named the stadium after him. There. He didn't say anything he didn't believe. He doesn't want to acknowledge them. That's why it's a rival, because he's got no problem acknowledging USC ASU and Colorado. Oh, the in-state game. You yeah. see, he does not want to say BYU or Cougars or the Y. That's why this rivalry is one of the top in the country. He actually speaks to the Cougar fans, or the Cougar fans. He speaks to the Ute fans who'd like the Cougars completely dismissed as little brother and to just vaporize first from the schedule and then from the universe. Agreed. And by not mentioning them at all, even though they're still playing him, there are Ute fans out there. Hardcore. Probably Ute fans who were mad for most of the 70s and 80s when everything was going against him. Who are like, yeah. He hates them. He won't even mention them. And then you got the other guy, Kalani. Oh, I'm so pummeled and proud and honored to have them on our schedule. And then he goes overboard. Screw that. Honored to have them on your schedule. I'm honored to kick the holy crap out of them. That's what I'm honored to do. He hasn't done that, so he can't say that. Well. He would be honored. He could put that in the future. But stop saying you're honored. I'm with you on that. You don't have to lay it on so thick. Yeah. They're a team on the schedule. We want to beat them. That's a big game. And you've been around now. You've been the coach. This is your sixth year. We get it. You're grateful to have experienced your time there. Completely understood. Kyle has helped develop you to the point where you are a head coach. So you will always be grateful. But you're not really beating Kyle. You're beating Utah. It's beyond individuals. They're an opponent that you need to win. You represent your fan base. And your fan base hates those guys. And then Whittingham won't even mention he's a freaking graduate. Benedict Arnold. 
you know, dog. You gotta, he's a BA. The whole family hates you with a passion ever since they were born. You know, doggone well, I'm talking about BYU. yes go right at him rj way to go rj good job not taking any of your bs (laughs) i got assignment from my editor see in in a way what kyle doesn't realize is he's actually giving the rivalry far more credibility oh he's firing it up by not he's mentioning that he's not he's not uh He's not eliminating the rival or minimizing the rivalry. He thinks he is, but he's not. But he's not. He's pouring gas on the fire. Big time. He had gallons upon gallons to a raging fire. Yeah. Yeah. Because you fans cackle and use it to taunt Cougar fans. And Cougar fans are (laughs) when they hear it. To an nth degree. I would be too if I was a hardcore Cougar. I would be furious. Yeah. You can't even say our name. You disrespect us that much. You know, doggone well, I'm talking about BYU. See, if he wanted to <laughs> level the rivalry and that act is... like it's not that big a deal, oh, yeah, we play BYU. We play most years, not all the time. It's a big game. Yeah, sure. But, you know, we've beaten them so many times that I can't really get that excited because that's what I expect to do. When we play BYU in Provo or here at our, our stadium, we beat them. That's minimizing them, but to just go right away and then say, oh, the in-state game, you're actually increasing the intensity. And the intensity has increased even more so than when you were in the same conference. Because now you don't need them to do anything for you. Every one of their games can do nothing for you. Whereas before, if they beat Air Force and you were locked in a battle or CSU or wherever it might be, they can help you. They can't help you at all. There's nothing they can do for you. Nothing. Go 11-1 and one and give you a quality win if you're fighting to get in a playoff. You're not going to get in a playoff. No, oh, never mind. <laughs> that's, that's not going to happen. That's all I got for you. Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame could barely get in. You're thinking you're going to let BYU in? Come on. They're not getting in. No, 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 no. It would be the it, BYU would go eleven and one. That's what they would do for Utah. If BYU had a great season, so it's a quality win. If the Utah fight, oh, so if they beat you Oregon, can help them. The you bubble. can help them. <clears throat> yeah, but they can't. There's nothing that Utah Utah can do for BYU. Nothing. There's nothing they can do for them. Whereas before, when they were in a conference, there was something potentially that they could do for them. Now zero. Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing that you talk about. If you can think of something, grab your phone, use the open mic. They can't. Yeah, maybe I'm missing something. Hit us up on Twitter, David DJ James. Very rare that I miss something, but it happens. (laughs) Don't dislocate your shoulder over there. Pat yourself on the back. Oh! I'm just awake. That's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) All right, DJ PK. Yachts waiting for your responses. Hit them up. All right, stay with us. 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We'll run this past Greg Rubel in 20 minutes right here on The Zone Sports Network. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
He is the athletic director at the University of Utah. Mark Harlan with us here on The Big Show. I want to get your thoughts on realignment. I'd be interested to hear your perspective on where you think we're going. I like to think things don't surprise me anymore, and that one certainly did. I've had time to reflect, and it probably shouldn't surprise me based on Big 12 members having to commit to grants of rights and those kind of things. And obviously, those two schools made a decision for their future. I love the approach our commissioner, George Klyovkov, has taken on this. That you know, It's silly not to listen. I think that's leadership. I think you should listen. And those schools that are interested in talking to the Pac-12, I'm excited about what the future is for our league. We've got 12 great schools, and I think our commissioner's approach to this makes a lot of sense. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. For the 60 in 60, Hanson Scotty will announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on the Zone Sports Network. So Kyle Whittingham does not want to talk about BYU. Oh, you mean Benedict? At all. For those of you just joining us, Kyle fielded this question. You'll hear the question and his response, such as it was. Can you tell us three nice things about your rival? Uh, who's our rival? We got rivals in conference. We got rivals out of the conference. Uh, you, you know doggone well I'm talking about BYU. Oh, that, uh, the in-state game. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> Uh, well, it's, it, the dynamic has changed so much. Really? Yeah, because uh, you know they're no longer in the same conference. We were in the same conference for ever, you know, right. 60, 70, 80 years. I can't remember what it was, but but uh, so it's changed, and and we've started to develop a, a little bit of a rivalry with uh, USC, Colorado, mm-hmm. Arizona State. I mean, there's just been some some things that are starting to uh, materialize inside the Pac-12, and so uh, that's why I asked that question. But I get you. But uh, yeah, let's skip to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> so I got. I'm not address it. I don't know which way to go with it. Maybe a shorter answer would have just been no. Can you tell me three nice things about your rival? No comment. No, no I can't. Next! Uh, yeah, but that, <laughs> no, you, I hear you. Since that's the answer. that doesn't demean them enough. <laughs> <laughs> is that his goal or is his goal simply to ignore them? He would prefer ignoring them to is demeaning, them so it becomes a fine line, and not have to talk about it. But people bring it up. I yeah. think most of us in the local media have gotten long past to ask him anything related to BYU. It's just pointless. Yeah, I mean, and and he's a Ute for twenty, thirty years now, and so he played at BYU. So be it. Uh, but he's this is who he is now. So we know not to ask him about that, but. I, I think, in a sense, putting them in their place, this is the most inflammatory thing he's ever said about the rivalry. Inflammatory thing he said. Yeah. I think you're probably right. Um, this is the most disrespectful. stuff. Yeah. He's done inflammatory things. Uh, you know, holding up nine fingers, walking off the field. That gets people fired up. That's yeah. fact. It's it's a fact. 
But yeah. it does get people. It's a fact that gets people fired up. Right. Sure. And he was doing it to his fan base because as he yeah. walks up the tunnel there on what is that the uh, whatever direction northwest corner northwest corner the yep. fans are right to his right where they put most of the BYU f- or Utah fans. It's where they put the visitors for every game. Yeah. Yeah. It's where they stick them. So uh, so he's so, looking up at his fans. He's holding up nine fingers. Yeah, They're yeah. all whooping it up. And it's not in. There's some fans scattered throughout, but that's the majority of it, where you see the most red. So he's playing up to them, and yeah. So, but and that that's uh, you won the game. That's in the moment, you know. You've won the game in the moment. Sure, this isn't in the moment. Matt Smith at Boulder Fan says, "Kyle, this is Kyle's quote. It should be Kyle quote. We appreciate that they continue to have us on their schedule every year." No, that's what Kalani says. Which, <laughs> and they're not on the schedule. But coming out of Kyle, year. that'd be demeaning. That'd just be a reminder, like, yeah, we love. Knocking you around for three hours, taking the W and going home every year. Let's see uh, three things. Well, we appreciate that they give us an opportunity to beat them. I mean, it's always fun to, to, to beat somebody that is their Super Bowl. I appreciate how much they respect us because they view us as their Super Bowl right now. <laughs> that's to me. <laughs> yeah, but that that's that's a thing he appreciates about the rivalry. <laughs> Joseph Rex says Kyle should have said they had a stud linebacker there in the eighties. <laughs> Kirk Ovea? Who? <laughs> no, Kyle talking the about himself. Former whack defensive player of the year. <laughs> he was there late seventies, early eighties. I know. 80s. I know full well his accomplishments there at BYU. Never saw him play, but I am aware of him. All right, hit us up on Twitter, David DJ James. We got Greg Rubel coming up next, play-by-play voice of the Cougars. We had him scheduled long before I knew anything about this. If I'm BYU, I hate that man. But now we'll ask him about this now that we know. Greg Rubel coming up next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, time to talk with the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Greg, good morning. Good morning, and I'm glad you led me in with that because we all believe, all of us, in the spirit of radio. (laughs) Good work. I like it. So, do you believe in this BYU football team? You feel a big year coming on? Feel a good but not great year coming on? In the words of Gordon Monson, where are you? How are you hanging on? I'm in a good spot. I'm in a good headspace, guys. Uh, I, I, I feel it can be a really good season. I, I, I think last year, BYU did exactly as much as you hoped it would do with the schedule. Uh, that the Cougars had to play and came a yard away from something pretty darn special. But 11-1 and one, uh, was, I, I thought, you know, everything and, and then some you could have hoped last year's team could do. Uh, this year's team may not reach the 11-win plateau, yet still be um, the same kind of caliber and same kind of quality. And you say that having lost, you know, draft picks to the NFL, multiple draft picks to the NFL. But if you have to lose the number two overall pick at quarterback, uh, you're in a pretty good spot with the guys you have back surrounding the quarterbacks competing for the job this fall. 
The way I look at this season, get your thought on that, that this is very, very important for the progression of the program because this is Coach Sataki's sixth year, and BYU, we know, recruiting classes take a while to get to campus, and then once they get to take campus, it takes some time for them to get into shape to be able to play. But six years is long enough, and so they took a giant step last year, and you can argue the schedule, but the NFL proved that they took a giant step. So with that in mind, how important do you think that that this season is in terms of establishing a program? Well, not only is it important, but I think it's, it's very illustrative that you have a similar situation starting year six that you had in year one. And so you can make a real kind of, um, you know, a real strong measurement from, from year one to year six by, by how the season begins. Um, back in 2016, Kalani's first year, they opened against Arizona uh, on a neutral field in NFL Stadium, won that game, uh, came back and played Utah in their second game. This year, they have the same situation. They go to Vegas, play Arizona in the Raiders Stadium. They're expected to win that game. They won the game in 2016. Then you come back and you play Utah. And that, to me, becomes the, the, the true barometer as to where this team is from then to now, is, is presuming you have success in the opener, how do you bounce back against the team that has been your nemesis for a decade plus? And, and how much more competitive are you? Can you finally break the streak? It, it'll say a lot about the program in how the seasons begin. And furthermore, uh, back in 2016, having beaten Arizona, lost to Utah, they played a Pac-12 team in their next game and lost that game and then lost the next game. And there they were one and three in Kalani's first four games and then it rebounded well for a nine-win season. Now, hopefully, the same not need to re- the, the same need to rebound isn't there this time around. But you know, I, I think you can say if there's progress made, and there has been progress made, BYU is not going to be one and three through four games this year. So, as Kalani tries to build a uh, bigger, longer, more athletic roster, what position group do you think is most likely to dominate and give them an edge this year? Well, I. I think the tight end is as good as it's been. Uh, even if you just account for the top two guys right now, uh, I think Isaac Rex and Dallin Holker is, are as dynamic a tight end duo as BYU's had in many, many years. And then when you counter that with the fact that uh, the receiving core is essentially back from last year, minus Dax Milne, Gunnar Romney was still a guy that led the team in, in yards per reception, yards per target, a good downfield target. Neil Pau. Is, is, is size and speed and catchability. I, I don't think, again, having lost to Zach Wilson, lost to Dax Milne, you're not really starting over at either quarterback or wide receiver. And so between tight end and wide receiver with Romney and Pau, Cosper was, was used liberally last year for his role. The Nakua, the, uh, the, the Nakua brothers entered the scene. Chris Jackson and Keanu Hill are still in the mix. Uh, they're deep enough and good enough to, to surround the quarterback with, with all the tools he needs to succeed. And then you're not even talking about a thousand yard running back and the guys behind him uh, in the backfield. So I, I guess I'm saying it shows up all over the offense right now uh, around the quarterback and the guys will be handing it off to and throwing it to. And you, you do lose a draft pick on the offensive line. They're, they're retooling a little bit there. But I really think, guys, they feel they've got six guys to play five up front and feel really good about maybe a seventh right now offensive lineman. And, and if, if, if health can, can be with them on the O-line, I, I can't see them dropping a ton from last year's productivity up front. Then how about on the other side, what's your level of expectation and confidence? 
Well, certainly nationally, you know, the attention is going to BYU's offense. I mean, you know, if you want to use, you know, watch lists as a, as a barometer, and that's tough to do because everybody gets on a watch list these days, right? Uh, essentially, the only, the only guy garnering any heat defensively right now is Peyton Wilgar, and for good reasons. But I'm fairly confident that by the end of the year, uh, you know, Peyton Wilgar won't be the only standout on this BYU defense. So I, I, th- I think the versatility and strength in numbers on the D-line might take away from IDing any one particular player as a stud, but Tyler Batty certainly has an opportunity to be that guy up front. He was, I think he was at three sacks through four games last year. He only played four games and still ended up as one of BYU's top uh, pressure and hurry and, and, and havoc guys last year. So a healthy season for Tyler Batty could mean a special season on the D-line. The linebacking core, I think, has been properly ID'd as a real strength of this team. But uh, I, I think Keenan Ellis and D'Angelo Mandel are a really nice pair of starting corners uh, for BYU as well. So they're not getting a lot of attention. I think it's been more slow and steady than spectacular, maybe numerically, for Coach Itake's defense and Coach uh, uh, Tuiaki's defense. But, uh, you know, they, they can ramp it up when they have to. I think they choose a lot of times not to, but you can't argue with the results. I mean, BYU was as good as any team in the country last year, guys, at preventing the big play. Now, you could argue that last year's opponents weren't necessarily the, the, the laundry list of big playmakers, but there were, good, you know, there, there were at least challenges last year that were met adequately. And that's been a real strength of BYU is not letting a lot of big plays and big yards per play, chunk plays, explosive plays beat you. There's a lot made of Power 5 teams on BYU's schedule, but all Power 5 teams are not created equal, and BYU has shown that they are pretty good at handling the bottom of the Power 5 and decent against the middle of the Power 5. So I guess that leads to question, who is truly elite and going to provide a challenge, and which of these Power 5 th- teams do you think BYU is going to have an upper hand on? Well, I, I, I think, uh, obviously, the, the top three picks in the Pac-12 South are the ones that are projected to give BYU the most trouble. Uh, you know, to me, Utah is tougher than USC just because it's Utah, and it has been for years. Uh, it's, it's the hurdle BYU has had a real tough time confronting. And, and the, 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 the problem with the Utah series, the way it's gone, isn't just that you lose all these games. It's that you essentially you've lost in, in every possible way. Uh, you've lost when turning it over. You've lost when not turning it over. You've lost when trailing early. You've lost with big leads. You, you've really you, you've not been able to identify the one thing that if we do this right, we can beat this team we haven't beaten forever because it's happened in every possible way. So to me, Utah is still right at the top. Uh, USC may be ranked higher, thought of higher, but Utah is still uh, you know the, the, the toughest team BYU will play. Uh, Utah, USC, Arizona State. I, I think it's okay to say one, two, three out of the three toughest teams. Of the P5s, uh, you know, all, all P5s not being created equal. You get a couple of bottom dweller picks at least in Washington State and Arizona, and then you get kind of middle of the pack Big 12 and Baylor, and then Virginia could be a middle of the pack in the ACC. So you're kind of hitting all, you're hitting, you know, you know kind of the elite teams in their league, kind of bottom dwellers in their league, and then middle packers in their league. So there's really a kind of a random sampling for BYU to see. You know, where they should be. You've got games you're expected to lose, games you're really expected to win, and then I think toss-ups right in the middle. And so it, it could go at, you know, any way with those seven P5s this year with the real strength at the top being being Utah. Stepping away from this season, you know, with Oklahoma and Texas leaving to the SEC, we know that that just creates a whole lot of uncertainty 
what do you think needs to happen for BYU as these things, not just this move from the 12 to the SEC, but obviously there's going to be fallout and domino effects. So what do you think BYU needs to do to make sure that it's in a good spot when this particular set of circumstances settles, even if it's three or four years, five years down the road? Well, I actually think that, that the groundwork's been laid, PK. I think BYU's done what it has to do to be in a good spot. And, and not that they lack initiative or ambition in this situation, but they can kind of afford to let some things happen around them and, and see where the best opportunities present themselves when, when the dust settles again. I, I think they've proven through independence that it's, it's maybe more sustainable than maybe some imagined. Um, you can still be an independent like BYU. You can still have your entire P5 schedule crumble around you you can still find a way to be an 11-win team in a 12-win pandemic season and get back on the national radar. I, I think games like the, the one they'll play in Las Vegas uh, is, is another good opportunity for BYU to not you know, show, but perhaps remind some people of where they are kind of in a national landscape in terms of the ability to either attract eyeballs or fill seats away from their home stadium, home city, and home state. Uh, I think BYU is going to uh, you know, dominate the crowd composition down in Las Vegas. Um, uh, you know, commission, uh, you know, conferences and networks will continue to take notice of, of what BYU can do uh, on a national setting. And and I think you know, you know, parenthetically, uh, from from venue uh, improvements, facilities to internal programs uh, to things BYU's done over the last just five years, I think all show that the Cougars are positioning themselves as a program. Uh, you know, to be highly considered if somebody chooses to reconfigure, you know, their their particular group here in the next few years. I, I just think that, you know, you know, things like the the Learfield Directors Cup, which kind of take a look at where you are as an overall program, continue to show, you know, that BYU is not a one trick pony and can be nationally consistent in a variety of sports. And I think the things that that tend to hang people up a little bit about BYU are, are the other things. Uh, that really aren't athletics related. And I think if, if anyone were to make a purely, you know, pragmatic, pragmatic and even academic decision on BYU, um, you know, it, it's, it's just this side of a no brainer as to what kind of value they might bring, uh, you know, to a conference, no matter what, you know, grouping we're talking about moving forward, whether it's truly just, you know, P5 conferences or whether it's new imaginations of college football altogether. Greg Rubel joining us. BYU Cougar, play-by-play voice. You know, you've been pretty clear about the rivalry on the field, and we're going to play something for you here in a second from uh, Kyle Whittingham. But before we do that, I'm, I'm curious about where you think the rivalry is as far as the emotion uh, between the fans and in the fan base. You know, when it was the last game of the season, that just lends itself to this huge buildup. And now no matter what happens, well, there's going to be 10 more games afterwards. It, it can't be the ultimate thing when there's still 10 games to go. So aside from the on-field stuff, how do you think the rivalry exists in the minds of you know, the fans and the players and all of that? It still feels pretty healthy. And I think, I think too, you have to look also to the emphasis the particular programs you know, place on the game. And that's where I think it's really told. And I think it's still as highly emphasized as ever. Um, and, and, and that's important to me. And, and you know, Utah, I, I think, you know, can, can rightfully, no matter how things are going at other points in their schedule, you know, point to the fact that, that the in-state rivalry has, has gone their way for a decade plus, and, that, and that's significant. And, and BYU, conversely, uh, without a championship to play for, 
and, and ideally rankings to strive for still has to look at getting back in the rivalry as something that, that indicates, you know, progress and success. And they haven't had it for a long, long time. And so uh, I think that would mean a lot, you know, for BYU to get, you know, to swing it back the other way or at least attempt to start to swing it back the other way. We've seen over time, guys, as you know, that these things have been, you know, somewhat cyclical to the extreme. This is about at the outside edge of where either team can have a win streak at nine or ten games. It rarely gets beyond that. And and so um, I, I'm sure the Cougar fans are hoping that the cyclical nature of it, even though it's been stretched out over a decade plus, begins to come back into equilibrium from a BYU standpoint. All right, here's the bite from uh, Kyle Whittingham doing an interview. Listen and uh, then your reaction. Can you tell us three nice things about your rival? Uh, who's our rival? We got rivals in conference. We got rivals out of the conference. Uh, you you know, doggone well. I'm talking about BYU. Oh, that, uh, the in-state game. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> it's uh, the in-state game. Well, it's it, the dynamic has changed so much. Really? Yeah, because uh, you know they're no longer in the same conference. We were in the same conference for ever. You know, right. 60, 70, 80 years. I can't remember what it was, but but uh, so it's changed, and and we've started to develop a, a little bit of a rivalry with uh, USC, Colorado, mm-hmm. Arizona State. I mean, there's just been some some things that are starting to uh, materialize inside the Pac-12, and so uh, that's why I asked that question. But I get you, Coach. But uh, yeah. Let's skip to the next question. <laughs> so I, I don't know how to address it. I don't know which way to go with it. Thoughts? Well, I would say Kyle's being coy. I think, I think a little bit of a rivalry is accurate compared to the the, dec- the decades of history against BYU. And, you know, I mean, it's a real thing. I mean, Kyle cares about not only beating BYU, but never having lost to BYU in more than a decade. And, and you know, whether it's countdown clocks in the facility or otherwise, it matters. Always has and, and always will. And so, again, I think there's a level of coyness there, but that's okay. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's okay for them to, um, to project toward the Pac-12 and say this is, you know, we've kind of left certain components of our, of our past behind and are, and are aiming in this direction. That's okay, and that's, and that's reasonable and that's logical, and, and I get it, but – uh, BYU is still BYU to the Utes, and I think uh, it'll always be that way. You think it's the biggest game on BYU's schedule? I think a lot within that program, believe it is. Yeah, fair enough. Because, because, because I think they kind of drew a line in the sand uh, more than a decade ago, and so far that line has stayed intact. And, and, and so with every year that, 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 you know, that, that belief that we're not going to lose these guys again, for every year that that extends, I think it continues to, to matter and mean more to that extent that we haven't, you know, we're not going to lose again and they haven't lost again, that, 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 that kind of thing. What level of confidence do you think the fan base has in Kalani to pull off a big season or big seasons when they take a bigger view going forward? Uh, I, 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 say it again. Do, uh, do I'm, I'm curious what level you think, and, and the reason is that the follow-up to this is, um, you know, how much faith does – the football administration have above him, the athletic department administration above him, and the leadership above Tom have in Kalani. And I'm curious how much the fan base has in Kalani, if they're aligned, if they're on the same plane. Oh, God, you know, I'm, 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 I'm only speculating as to what the highest of higher-ups believe, but, but how, how could you not be pleased with not only – um, the success of the programs in terms of wins and losses, um, you know, the, the national image that BYU projects and the Kalani projects 
um, the affability that, that naturally you get with Kalani, um, his ability to, to interact with and express appreciation for the fan base. I think fans love Kalani. I do. I, 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 I think media love Kalani. I, I, would, I would be hard-pressed to think of somebody that doesn't think favorably and highly of, of Kalani. Um, I, I think he is, in a lot of ways, a reflection of his mentor and his head coach, Lavelle Edwards, in, in many ways. They're not identical personalities by any stretch, but there are a lot of components of each of those gentlemen that I think uh, reflect very well uh, with one another. And uh, again, the wins are there. You have one dip season in five years when you're trying to rebuild and figure out coaching personnel. That's clearly forgivable. I, I think with what they were able to do with last year's season, how they put people in the NFL, uh, the general trajectory of the program, how it looks, how it feels, how it sounds on game day, I, I, I think it's BYU is in as positive a spot as they could hope to be in. And, and the guy leading it, to me, is the right guy at the right time. And as you can tell, I mean, I, I, I clearly am a big fan of Kalani myself personally. I've had enough interactions with him since his playing days through now working with him as a broadcaster and him being the cat coach that uh, just makes my job so easy. Um, I, I, I know that fans love him for a lot of good and genuine and real reasons, and I'm just so glad that uh, you know he is directing this program right now that I get to cover I'm fascinated with what Mark Pope has done because I think one of the things that hampered BYU basketball as they got into the West Coast Conference is they would have guys that they would invest in and then they would transfer out. Dave Rose called them program guys. We saw a number of guys that by the time they got to be junior and seniors had made significant contributions to the program in large part because they stuck it out, understood what was going on with the system and everything, and and so now it's a little bit different with uh, guys transferring and then the transfer portal bringing all these guys in for one or two years. And it's really interesting to see how he puts together a roster and what they're doing. And this year might be the most interesting. He's only been there a couple of years, obviously. But this year might be the most interesting as far as it goes. How do you think, or what do you think about the way that he is going about constructing a roster? Because it seems like every year we don't really know until August who's actually going to be on the team. I think it's awesome because he proves there's more than, than one way to go about roster construction and still get, and still get good results. I mean, in two seasons, uh, you know, coming in in his first two seasons, he had two NCAA tournament teams. And, and he did it by having to go out, cast kind of a wide net, and, and bring people in that maybe, uh, you know, might not have otherwise considered BYU. And so all credit to Mark Pope for going out and getting those guys, showing that kind of initiative. Um, because there's, there's a blend. You know, there's a blend of guys who are local, who went to high school locally, and are now in their second, third, fourth year in the program. And then there are all these other kinds of guys that, again, get brought in by the wide net of Mark Pope. And that wide net philosophy has already paid dividends through two seasons with two NCAA tournament caliber teams. And, and you know, from that first year to the second, even though the first year you didn't get to play in the tournament because of COVID, you know, to, to, not, you know, to have a COVID year, a pandemic year, lose people like, like TJ Haas and Yoli Childs and Jake Toulson and have to go back and find guys during a pandemic to get you back to the NCAA tournament, I'm not sure enough people realize just how much credit Mark and his staff should get for last year. And, and then and having that obviously be kind of an indicator of how things will be. He will cast, uh, he will go far and wide uh, to, to get players that he thinks fit BYU and help his program and have them blend and create chemistry and really buy into 
best locker room in America and get better every day. And I see it day by day with this guy. It's it's real and it's authentic and it and it helps uh, these guys believe in themselves. And I couldn't be more um, uh, impressed by what he's done through two years in the most difficult and trying of circumstances, taking over for an all-time great in Dave Rose. Uh, again, there, there, there's so much you'd have to do well to get the, the kind of success Mark has gotten in two years in a pandemic era, and he's done it. He and the staff and the players you know, deserve, of course, the lion's share of the credit. But again, we're going to see it. You, know, you lose Brandon Averitt, you lose Matt Harms, guys who might have, could have returned, chose to go elsewhere. How do you fill those spots? And you know, for right now, it looks like he's filled them well. Uh, guys like Joe Lenardi says, right now, that's another NCAA tournament team I see. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But it's going to be a fun, fun team to watch. And, and uh, Alex Barcelo being back is massive, as we all know. I mean, that's just, it, it means so much to be able to lean on that anchor uh, for this program this year. So you think that the transfer portal can sustain the basketball program in the long run, or do you think that the way basketball is gone, you have no choice? The transfer portal is how most teams are going to create teams. Yeah, everyone's going to have to play the game. And, of course, at BYU, you can't just go after everybody, but you can be, uh, I think, a little bit particular while at the same time being ambitious. And it's just the way it's going to be. And it won't be all transfers all the time. And, again, you can see right now there's a decent blend but I get a sense that Mark and his guys have a, have a pretty good feel. And not only that, they will be able to go and explore uh, portal possibilities in the future with a really strong kind of portfolio and resume and proving ground behind them saying, yeah, sure, there's a guy that maybe was at one or two programs before, but look what happened and came in his one or two years at BYU. Look at the good things that can happen, and, and they did happen. And so I, I, I think it's, it's, it's an indicator of a formula that has already shown signs of success, and, and can ideally continue to be successful for BYU. Greg, as always, good to talk to you, and uh, everything will start ramping up here for you shortly. It'll be nonstop. As always, gentlemen, it is my pleasure. Uh, you work with the great Yacht, and, and seeing Jake on, on a relatively, if not daily, weekly basis in Provo uh, is, is a joy, and uh, you guys have a good one, as you know. And you guys are good ones, uh, as everyone knows, and uh, always good to be with you. Greg Rubel, play-by-play voice of the BYU Cougars. When we come back, we get you up to speed on everything you missed during this show. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotting and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Time to get you up to speed on everything that's happened during this show and something happened during this show that wasn't on this show. But something happened. BYU Football's official account tweeting out a pair of blue eyes looking to the side, wide all around the eyes. Like something big. Like something big just happened. What's going to happen? Or is going to happen, yes. I don't know. Something they know about that other fans don't. Fans are hitting up Twitter. I think BYU football should know about everything. It's BYU football. With all kinds of ideas. Alex Barcella returning to play football. Cool. Thank you, Nick Lee. Did he play football? No, he played basketball. 
You never played football? I don't know anything about that. I don't know, but uh, they'll have to follow it up now. Can't just do that. A lot of times, uh, this is the kind of stuff schools do when they get a verbal recruit and they can't talk about it because they didn't say rules. I don't think the program does that. Coaches will do it off their account. Coaches do it. Coaches do it off their account. This is more of a yeah, thing. It's this is probably of, let's say some scheduling yeah. situation or something. So they, they'll follow it up with something official. I don't know that the program, because you couldn't follow it up with a recruit committing. Howdy Mandel at the Sad Cowboy says, watch it be something dumb like we scheduled a home and home with Alabama in 2035. Well, that's not dumb. It's a long ways away, <laughs> but it's not dumb. Right? Multiple people tweeting out the uh, gift from the office. Michael Scott, oh my God, okay, it's happening. Again, all amped well, up and getting ready to run across that, the office. Yeah, I would have, if you're going to do a scheduling thing, you know, the Notre Dame thing's out there. Spider Typer says Notre Dame. Uh, it would, it's not going to be Indiana. No offense to Indiana. You know, it would have to be something that would be a real big. Splash, and anytime you play Notre Dame, and they had ta- haven't they talked about playing that game in Vegas as right? soon as next season? Yeah, that's been out there for a while now, right? That's a great idea. I, I would think Notre Dame would love that. Yeah, it's the thought is that the only way you'll get them is to get them to go to Vegas and play it. Fine, what difference does it make? I mean, you can't sell your program as much, but. Everybody gets a bigger payday out of it, though, with that oh, facility sure. and all those luxury suites. They write a check. And yeah. BYU fans, we all know, travel to Las Vegas. Oh, and of throws. course, yeah. That would be cool. That would be whatever time they would play that. You know, with Notre Dame, you don't know necessarily when they would schedule that game where they would fit it in because they got that scheduling agreement with the uh, ACC. But whenever, early, middle, late, it would be something that would be people would be attached to it. Being Notre Dame draws. I mean, they're, they're Notre Dame, right? We've got a lot of us out there, and so that would be something that would be fun. I would prefer it sooner the better with the stadium, you know, because ten, 5, 10, 15 years into the stadium, playing in the stadium is cool, but it, it doesn't... It's not as big a deal as when it's brand new. Yeah, exactly. Hey, it's a brand new stadium. Let's go see it. Right. Notre Dame has dates right now. Who knows what they're moving around, right? They have dates right now on October 1st and 8th next year. October 1st and 8th, you say? And October 29th. They've got a couple games, Boston College and Syracuse, that don't have dates yet. They're looking to slide them in. November 19th is open. So Now, I don't know if that's it, but if that would be great. That's big news, I think. A Notre Dame game would be big news. Yeah. How long has it been since they played those first two? Been a minute. Yeah, I don't know. I have to go back and double back because I can't tell you how top of my head. So getting them in this side of the country would be a big deal. And, of sure course, would. we're talking to the BYU fans who live here on the Wasatch Front, but for the BYU fans in St. George, Phoenix, Vegas, all across Southern California, Vegas is more convenient than Provo for them. Not for the season ticket holders here, maybe. I get that. Yeah, but for BYU or for Notre Dame fans, we know when Notre Dame's on your schedule and you have a home game, we know that – Notre Dame fans buy season tickets to have access to that one singular game. Mm-hmm. When Notre Dame, when their schedule is put out for whatever year, if you don't book a hotel immediately, they're gone. 
Real good for the hotel industry. Yeah. It's really amazing. Last time the Cougars played there, they stayed in Michigan City and Holiday Inn uh, several miles away because I stayed there too. Uh, usually I stay in Chicago, but that was maybe that wasn't the last time. Uh, in fact, it wasn't the last time because my parents came with me, and that was the time that my mother drinking her coffee was right in the middle of the Cougar Club breakfast. <laughs> It's Tom Holmes up there diagramming plays. Oh, boy. <laughs> she got in there. We couldn't find her. We're searching all over the hotel. And I finally find her right in the middle, sitting there eating the free food that goes to the Cougar Club, which, of course, isn't free because being the Cougar Club, you got to pay. And she had saved me a seat right front and center <laughs> <laughs> and, and was pointing for me to come to sit because she's got food. Fortunately, she got food in a good seat. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. she wasn't smoking. Uh, she didn't. Bonus. Have, yeah. But she's sitting there, and she's just listening. And all these people are around, and they're talking BYU football. And she thought absolutely nothing of it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, free food. Some continental breakfast that is a hotel guest, she should... Yeah, and Have there they are. Oh, they just happen to be talking BYU football. Naturally, because she knew that the BYU folks were staying in the hotel in preparation for the game later that day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because she got up early, as she often did, and went outside. And I just thought she was outside smoking and looked all over the grounds. And literally, last place that I thought to look was literally the place she was. And we were having this point off. She's pointing for me to come. I'm pointing for her to come to me because I'm standing in the doorway. And finally, after the bout, we've each had a point off of about four times. I made a face that said, you need to get over here now. And she got up and left. And I told that story at her mass, her funeral mass. And it got quite the laugh uh, on that. It's just an un- that whole weekend was an unbelievable experience with my parents taking them back to Notre Dame. Well... If that's what it is, as we sit here uh, on the radio and try to figure it out, October 8th and 29th, both teams have open dates. So they got two dates available right now. Who knows what else they're trying to plug in? It's a big jigsaw puzzle, and I'm just cutting straight to that. Yeah, and I don't know that that's what the eyeballs are for. Nor do I. Yeah, but I'm that that would be that would be that would be worthy eyeball of enough. Yeah, that would be worthy of that uh, of that photo. Yeah, Notre Dame for sure. All right, other stuff we have been discussing this morning. Joe Ingles, upset, not happy when he was uh, on our show 24 hours ago. With all the messages he got, trade rumors, what's going on, are you on the move? And he was in the middle of the Olympics with Australia basketball team. Would you rather the Jazz try to win the title or trade him to get a better shot at it? Let's break this out by demographics, PK. 100% 100% females say keep them. I say keep them, too, unless it's just an absolute you cannot refuse this deal. Got to hit a home run. Got to be a clear upgrade. I heard some people say, well, if you can get an all-star. Well, duh. That's a clear upgrade. <laughs> yes. But who's going to do that? I, I do wonder, as they go all in here in the next uh, three to four years, I do wonder if there will be a chance, and obviously other things will happen to happen with other teams, but... Do you trade? They, they've got a lot of guys getting played good role player money, right? In that 
mm-hmm. eight to fifteen thousand, eighteen to eight to fifteen million dollar range. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Can you trade two or three of those for a star player? And depending on where they are, they're twenty five to forty million. And do the big three, and then. Pay everybody else the minimum. You know, there's so few star players, though. Agreed. That's why I said it depends. There's a lot what of happens. players who make a lot of money, sure. but aren't star caliber. But two years ago, we didn't know Harden was going to be available. He becomes available, and Brooklyn goes all in to get him. Now, is there going to be somebody like that? Somebody, the Lakers, going all in to get Anthony Davis? Is there going to be that kind of player available, and can the Jazz get in on that? I don't think those types of players move, and you, you could say Anthony Davis. Yeah, Anthony Davis, when he has LeBron, is decent. I'll give him that. On his own, is he really a franchise cornerstone? But on the other hand, he wouldn't be you on his own. Have Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you and, and Rudy Gobert. I'm not thinking either one of those guys would be in the deal. Those would be three enormous salaries. And then if you fill in with veteran minimums, do guys want to play with them? How good a team can you build? And will that opportunity be out there? And we've just seen a slew of guys on big money move. Now, to your point, <laughs> some of them are more, more valuable chasing a championship than others. And the championship just went to a team that didn't make that kind of move. I mean, it made a significant upgrade, though, in getting Drew Holiday. But not that kind of move that I was talking about, where you would trade three guys on eight, 11, 14 million dollar contracts. I have to look at what Drew is making. He's a good player, but he's not at that level. Oh, I think he now, was, some he of the, was players, the difference. Yes, but some of the players, and that's more the move I would expect the Jazz to make. I guess that's just more the move that gets made around the NBA would be the reason to say that. It's like, okay, here's an upgrade. It's an upgrade, but it's not bringing in a megastar because your point, some of those megastars aren't worth it and aren't going to win titles. Chris Paul didn't win a title, although he got the Suns very close. Well, you better make that move now because these guys that you're talking about are getting older. Yeah. And I respect jazz management. I don't know that they necessarily uh, made any calls on that rumor. That rumor can be totally from, and it was about Golden State, it could be from Warrior uh, generated and the Jazz have no control over somebody else thinking, hey, we would love to have this guy or that guy on your team. And agents leak stuff trying to make stuff happen. Hey, this isn't happening. Well, let's make this guy unhappy, and then he'll waive his no-trade clause and do it. And so they leak stuff. But so I respect them trying to upgrade the team, even if it means trading someone who is so beloved. You have to do it. And I think they did do it. And I think they had opportunities that they investigated, and in the end, it, either they couldn't or decided it wasn't their best move to pull the trigger. I think Ingles, to an extent, was there to be had. Which is no big secret. Everybody should be there to be had, or virtually everybody. But they decided not to. And, and I think it's stepping back from it with not knowing particulars, although I have talked to people and heard some stuff. I bet you know some particulars, but you don't know probably, all the particulars. Probably, I, there's no way I know all the particulars. No, not at all. Uh, I have, I've heard, and I did make some talk to people. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, I think it's in the right thing to do to give this thing a shot. Because you were strongly in the mix. You know, next year, maybe it's an entirely different summer. But this year, I think it was the right thing to do. Let's see what you got. Give it another shot. And you keep the core. It's together. 
right? I mean, tr- trading out or losing out in the Yang, you're not losing the core. You're periphery of the core, and you replaced them immediately anyway. So let's give this thing a run. It, it's there to be had because I don't think there's a dominant team. Nobody. I think teams got better to some degree in the West, but I don't think there's a team that you just point to. Not even the Lakers with all their moves. I get it because of all the teams that I look at uh, vulnerability to injury, I put the Lakers right there in the mix with everybody, maybe even at the top. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback's coming up. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Let's talk some Utah football. Joining us, Van Fillinger. Obviously a weird year last year. You play five games and you participated in all those five games for Utah. For that being your freshman year, you're probably finding out what the real experience of being a college football player is like this year. Yeah, it was really weird last year, honestly. And the thing is, is it's not completely back to normal yet. We still wear masks in the facility, so it's definitely better than it was last year, but it was real weird last year. I mean, no fans or anything at the games, and, you know, I'm a big, uh, like, I feed off the energy that the fans bring and stuff, so I'm real excited to get after it this year and have a full stadium. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. I think the uh, speech by Coach Boone and remember the Titans on the field of Gettysburg was one of the most powerful uh, sports scenes in movie history. Powerful sports scenes. It was, but it doesn't compare to Hey Dad. (laughs) You'll rank it high, you just won't rank it number one. Yeah, that's the best sports scene. Tonight at 515, Field of Dreams. Just a little beyond the corn and left field of the movie set, they have built a second field, a major league-sized field, not a movie studio field. And they're going to keep it, too. Everything goes into storage after this. If it works, they'll be back. Well, they'll play other games there. They'll take down the stands. Yeah. But those can be put up. I mean, they do it at the Phoenix Open every year. You go in, and I played it in August, and you're on 16. You don't even know you're on 16. <laughs> Doesn't look at anything like it? No. No, not at all. No. I should be in a canyon now. Yeah. I should be just, surrounded by 30,000 people. It was still fun to play, and I took my picture and parred the hole and blah, blah, blah from my distance, not from the back. Uh, but it just it has no semblance. So they'll have that field there. This is a phenomenal idea. Yeah, it's a public relations thing and designed to – in a slew of games that are just seemingly endless the course of the summer. Baseball starts in when it's snowing and ends when it's snowing sometimes. <laughs> it goes through all the weather uh, seasons, so generate a little buzz. And, and Field of Dreams, it's the top five sports movies. Not just the top one, the top five. What? Yeah, top five. It's one, it's two, it's three, it's four, it's five. I agree. No, there's no sequels. It's not the top five. You're it doesn't need a sequel. If it's it your just, favorite, it goes it's on your favorite, It's not Soviet. about my favorite. It's yeah, about it sure what. Is. It's like saying the Beatles are my favorite and they're overrated. If you don't like, no, the statistics bear it out. There's, it's not an argument. So stop. Just stop. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> You're just arguing to argue. Come on, Slapshot was a great movie. <laughs> How do I watch Slapshot and think it's a great movie when the mom in uh, Christmas Story didn't have a top on? I mean, come on. Did I really need to see that? 
Rolling Stone ranked the top movies, but Hoop Dreams, number one, the documentary. That's not a movie. It's a documentary. Well, movies can be documentaries. Documentaries are a type of movie. No. They have their own category, doofus. Raging Bull, Caddyshack. These are legendary movies. They are. I agree. And you dismiss them. I don't dismiss them. I just put them at 6th, 7th, and 8th. No one has moved an individual like Field of Dreams has moved hundreds of millions of people. Man, this Rolling Stone, uh, man, maybe I missed it. I don't see I don't see them ranking that movie up there at all, which is surprising. And what Field is, of Dreams ought to be up there. Right. R- Rolling oh, Stone. Rolling Stone, I mean, Chronicle of... Roll it up and smoke pop, another one, Rolling pop Stone. Pop culture in yeah, America. Not pop, a pot. Pot culture. <laughs> <laughs> we know what they're about. Come on. They wouldn't have any idea. Because they, they've never played catch. There are certain Never. Type of people. They have a place in our society, just not in my life. No. We got a lot of listeners rallying, wanting Joe on the team for another year. Michelle, what seventh man are you going to get to replace Joe? The guy's the epitome of a role player. What if you traded him for a starter? What if you trade him for an all-star? Then the other team is stupid. <laughs> Some trades are lopsided. Yeah, but not, not like that. All right, there's the feedback you've been weighing in today. We, we have a lot more, but it's mostly from people who are different versions of Keep Joe. Keep Joe. I want Joe. More Joe. The connection he has made is just absolutely fascinating to me. I wonder if it could be made in a big market, or any other market for that matter. Doesn't even have to be really that big. Because you got like Milwaukee. Well, Milwaukee's small market... And I realize the Packers are down the road a little bit, but they also have the Brewers, so how small are they? You know, they're small comparative, but they've got multiple professional sports so at the highest level. So you would go more level. San Antonio, Portland. But I even wonder what San a, Antonio... Milwaukee's not a one-horse town. San Antonio, the Cowboys are big all over right, Texas. Right, right, My My wife's grandmother lived in San Antonio, and we were down there visiting, I got in the car to... Go pick something up at the store. I flipped on the radio, and there was the Troy Aikman show. Of course. Syndicated into San Antonio. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hardcore. It's so dominant. In yeah. multiple states, the Cowboys go. Oh, yeah. Huge yeah. in New Mexico. Huge yeah. in Oklahoma. Yeah. So, I get where you're going with that, but the Cowboy shadow is cast so long, so I, I just don't know. The defining, the overlooked defining characteristic of Salt Lake City, the physical isolation. It is so far to anywhere. Yeah, because in Portland, as much as they got a big brother, little brother thing going on with Seattle, I got to think the Seahawks are huge in Portland. Yeah. But I think Portland's a nice one, a nice uh, example. But how many places? The perfect storm, really. Jacksonville, if the Jacksonville Jaguars were ever good, a Jacksonville player would own that town. Well, they will be. They got Urban. Urban, baby. Urban doesn't lose. Winning's coming. He doesn't lose. So, we'll see how that goes. Saints players in New Orleans? I mean, football's bigger than basketball, and football got there a quarter of a yeah, century before basketball. Yeah, I'll say, but Drew Brees, but he's a Hall of Fame guy. Yeah. So, of course. 
we get that. I mean, Jeter in New York, the biggest city of them all. You know what I mean? <laughs> Magic in L.A. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously. Uh, so that that's going to happen. a role player do it in another town? Or has a role player done it in another town and we just don't know? A pacer in Indianapolis. That's a good one. But they got the Indy 500. <laughs> that's not what it was. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's not what guys, it was. It's basically a tour. Guys drop in for a week and leave. <laughs> two weeks. Two or three weeks of qualifying. Yeah, but it, it, they got Bob Knight. They got uh, Jimmy Chitwood. Well, people say <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of great sports movies. Great movie. Yeah. Jimmy Chitwood. I can make it, Coach. <laughs> Dennis Hopper. Uh, who's the what's Jack? What, what, what's the the lead character? Gene. Coach Gene, goes. Gene I Ackman. Go. Gene Ackman. Yeah, Gene I got Ackman. it. Coach goes. I go. Yeah. Coach stays. I play. Yeah. So I think we ought to revote. And then too, to have Renai and the kids. But there is not any player whose kids' names I know. But Jacob, Milla, and Jack. I feel like I should always, give them birthday always cards. Always go crazy on Phil's kids. I know, but this is so freaking charming. <laughs> That's the point: is everybody else finds it charming, and then you have to go the other way because it's not so charming. <laughs> this is charming. What are you talking about? I don't follow if you. Really charming? You wouldn't. You wouldn't taunt him too. Well, not oh, to his face because he's on the phone. Joe, I'm not taunting R- him. Renee and the kids to him. Come on, you're okay. You're not taunting. You're tweaking. No, I'm not. Okay. I'm just trying to speak like he speaks. I'm not taunting <laughs> him. That's, hey, yeah, can I get a ruling from the judge This is here? not a tauntment. <laughs> a taunt? It's not a tauntment at all. It's like atonement, but it's It different. is just the, well, of course you would bring up atonement. Uh, this is, <laughs> it is indicative of the connection. I leave my religion out of it. I leave yours out People of it. People <laughs> feel like they know Jacob, Miller, and Jack. Uh. The future president of the United American States. American Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and they like it. that We taunt him on his kid was born in the U.S. Okay, I'll give you that. But I don't taunt him about knowing his kid's name because he's put out there. The son with the autism, that's a real issue to so many folks. And, and he and his wife have attacked it head on. And he was so public about it. He was virtually crying about it when he got the diagnosis. It was such a significant blow. He didn't even feel like playing hoop and all that stuff. That is, he put himself so far out there to be relatable with everyday life. And then he talks about, yeah, I know I have the finances to do that. That's why I want to help because so few people are in the situation that I'm in and I'm rich. And I can do all these things, and I have zero financial worries. Well, um, Mary and Jack down the street, no. They've got Jack and Mary got to go to work, and they still got to deal with this deal, and how are they going to do it all? It's amazing, all the stuff. The connection is just unreal. It's, it's beyond comprehension to me. I've never seen anything like it. It is highly unusual. I can't guarantee it's the that, highest unusual. I can't guarantee that nothing like this has ever ever happened. I don't know how some Buffalo Saber has connected with fans in Buffalo. But they got the Bills. They don't even connect more than more than Josh be, Allen is. It connecting. would be more amazing if a role player connected, not into one horse town, but where there was you know the NFL. Well, Buffalo would be the NFL and the NHL. It'd be a it'd be a two horse town. It, 
Well, they had baseball for a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Blue Jays briefly. Hey guys, we're here. It, it doesn't. It doesn't happen because not only that, not only you have to have the right uh, scenario, you've got to have the right personality. True story. Not everyone can pull it off. Because he could have been who he is as he a player, a but been ability. far more private. Yeah, he has a unique ability to uh, be a good interview while being a good teammate. There are plenty of people who are good teammates who aren't good interviews. And there are people who are good interviews, eh, not necessarily the best teammates. Or they're just not good, good enough players, whatever it might be. That's true, too. And the team isn't winning. The, the, the rise from the ashes of Joe Ingles... Of at twenty seven, finally making it. It's a freaking uh, uh, the Philadelphia Philly Eagle guy. What's Vince Papali? Joe Ingles. <laughs> Vince Papali. <laughs> it's exactly that. The walk on. Yeah. Playing in the mud. He's basically a walk on, and they used to play in Philly and put the car lights there. Uh-huh. Vince Papali. Of course, it was an Italian who did it. Because they got something extra. That's a fact. <laughs> You've been around those Northeast Italians. My wife, right now, she's working, but she and she's at Jordan High School. Jordan High School. What's uh, that all about? <laughs> some guy complaining at Jordan. I didn't talk enough about Jordan. I'm a beat digger at heart. Everybody knows that. Nobody knows that at Even all. Even though my kid goes to Brighton, uh, I love the Bengals, but. You know, you got to win. I mean, I'm a, I'm a bandwagoner or a bandwagger. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? You. Oh, that's idiot. Right. <laughs> a bandwagger. <laughs> ah, bonus syllable. Wasn't really needed. You know what I meant. Uh, yeah, B-wag. <laughs> <laughs> B-wag. I'm a B-wag in Corner Canyon wins, so I've jumped aboard them. <laughs> <laughs> but 40 she, in a row. <laughs> she would be acknowledging something about Northeast Italians that are separate and the drive that they have, the determination. Well, that's what Joe has basically done. He's Vince Papali. Forget about Rudy. He is Vince Papali making the team. I'm not even sure I'm saying the name right, but it sounds you are. good. Yeah, you are. Okay. You got it right. Okay. Yeah. Vinny. Vinny. And so, what a story, man. <sighs> I think most folks, I think overwhelming amount of folks hope he retires here. And then they're going to be sad to see him go because what is he going to do? Is he going to disappear and then we never see him again? Yeah. I find that hard to believe. Okay, he might come back the way Antoine Cara and Mehmet Okura come back. But you're asking him to come back from further away. He's going to have kids in school for a big chunk of the year. It's going to limit his travel. Yeah, but actually the way that works is the seasons play out. Because if they on a traditional school calendar, which I don't if know, they what do the doing. school through the winter, and I don't know, I can check on that for you. Summer is our winter, so right. it's in the heart of the NBA season. So maybe he could be back here for a January home game, do the holidays, and then go to the states. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because he would be beloved. They put his face on the screen there. Oh, the place to go nuts. Yeah, I mean it does for many players when they put him on the screen. So you know he'd, yeah, he'd get the warm response. Oh, he, he would get a standing O. A standing freaking O. It'll be interesting to see what he does upon retirement. I'm taking him at face value. He's picking up and he's moving to to Melbourne. Sure, but how often the is world is smaller in in that way. You see what I'm saying? I am. Yeah, I do. And what kind of is it? Just going to be a total divorce, so to speak. Thanks, appreciate it. Well, uh, I would be surprised if we if there were zero opportunities to see him again. Yeah. 
All right, Hans and Scotty are coming up next right here on the Zone Sports Network.